Hello and welcome to Retrospection, where we take an old show or film and see if it's still sharp enough to be slapped with a double O rating or just a big fat zero. In this episode, we're looking at Timothy Dalton's debut as James Bond in The Living Daylights from 1989. Hello to all our listeners, my name's Colin and we have an old saying too, Gayagi, and you're full of it. And I'm Paul, and anytime you want to listen to my Barry Manilow collection. You have a Barry Manilow collection too. There is a Barry Manilow collection in the house. I wouldn't say it's mine. Oh, it's yours. <laughs> that was more creepy than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> the plot, as IMDB claims, is James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB policy to kill all enemy spies and uncovers an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications. It's fairly accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad one, right? Yeah, it's not a bad one. You could have written that. Thanks, I think. It's not a slur on your writing, Colin, don't worry. Oh, okay. Or is it a slur on IMDb? Possibly, I would go for that one. All right. It stars Timothy Dalton as James Bond, Mariam Diabo as Kara Miovi, Jeron Crabb as General Georgi Koskov, Joe Don Baker as Brad Whitaker, John Rhys Davis as General Leonid Pushkin, Art Malik as Cameron Shah, Desmond Llewellyn as Q, Robert Brown as M, and Caroline Bliss as Miss Moneypenny did well with some of those names. I wonder where you were going to go. But... Thanks. I think I pulled it off, as you would say. You did. Nobody knows. It. No. Fine. Music's by John Barry with the theme song performed by Aha. What do you think of the theme song? It's all right. I like <laughs> it. It's one of the better ones. Yeah, I think I had it on... I think I've still got it, actually, on seven-inch single from back then. Sorry? What's a seven-inch single? As my son asked me when when it, when when I had one playing and it was uh, stuck in the groove, he said, "Dad, is that buffering?" <laughs> <laughs> I like her hair, though. So you know. Yeah, I, I quite like her hair as well. But they, they didn't get along with John Barry when they were doing it, did they? Oh, I heard that. Yes, it's in the one of the documentaries I watched. Yes. Yeah, apparently there's two versions of this. There's the version that was released for the movie, and then their own version that which was on their album, which they think is better. It's minus all the, the strings and slightly okay. different array. So it, it removes everything that makes it a Bond song? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Makes it more just a ha-ha song. Ha-ha! What are we doing? Partridge! And it's directed by veteran Bond Helmer John Glenn, who also directed The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker and the non-Bond films, The Seawolves, The Wild Geese and Murphy's War. And you've got to say that he's got a good eye. It looks very, very good. It's, it's a lovely shot at times, this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think John Glenn's one of the better Bond directors, right? He is, yes. We, we could do with a John Glenn now, couldn't we? <laughs> you said mm. that, not me. I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. Controversial. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> so, a little bit of info. Originally conceived as a prequel in the series to introduce Smirsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Smirsh is a portmanteau of the Russian words Shmetshbianum, death to spies. Now, Smirsh was a real organization. It was formed in 1942 and designed to stop the Germans from infiltrating the Red Army on the Eastern Front. So why didn't they use it then? I, I read that it was it was also designed to be, um, as you say, a prequel for a young Bond, wasn't it? It was supposed to be Bond younger, and um, I read that it, it was, good, it was supposed to end where he was going to go off on his mission to uh, to confront Doctor No. Oh, I see. Okay. 
and then they dropped that idea. That'll be kind of confusing. It would, wouldn't it? Although they kind of did it later with with um, Daniel Craig, didn't they? I mean, he's a, he's it's a reboot, a prequel kind of thing. Yeah. Other choices for this new Bond were Sam Neill and Pierce Brosnan. Now, Remington Steel, which is the TV show that Brosnan was in, had just been cancelled. But then with interest in Brosnan increasing because of his possibility of playing Bond, NBC exercised a 60-day option in his contract to make another series of Remington Steel. This made Broccoli withdraw the offer because he didn't want Bond connected with a TV series. Thus, interesting Remington Steel died down and only five episodes of the new series was filmed and Brosnan had to wait another six years to get the chance to play the British spy. I bet he was gutted. You, well, I, I bet. I mean, it pretty much has said numerous times that he was, right? He never stops talking about it. Didn't they even go so far as, as to, all, to kind of announce that he was going to be the next Bond? I'm pretty sure they had a press conference. Oh, really? Oh, that'd be... Yeah. Oh. I think it's on one of the Blu-rays, I think. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then they had to go backtrack afterwards. Um, but I, I, I kind of think it was right, though. Maybe he was a little bit too young. Oh, you think? Look, okay. Back in the Remington Steel days, he was a little bit too young looking. Which is interestingly, um, the same thing happened to Dalton. So Dalton was actually considered for Bond five times before this. Five times? Five times, yeah. So the first one was in 1969, believe it or not, when Whoa. they were making Her Majesty's Secret Service. Was he 12? He was very young. Um, but it was felt that he was too young after he um, screen tested for it. Right. And then again in 71 for Diamonds. Mm -hmm. This time he turned it down because he felt he was too young. Okay. Um, and then again in 81 and 83 for, for Your Eyes and Octopussy. Um, and that was when each time it was uncertain if Roger Moore was going to come back. But even at this point, Dalton took some persuading to take the role of Bond. Exactly. And, and the last time was, was for a view to a kill when they weren't sure that Roger Moore was going to come back. Right. And he, he declined because he had previous commitments. Right. So can you imagine being asked five times? Yeah, it's almost like your dating technique. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you pester enough, you get a result, don't you? Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I caught someone's usually. Yes, yes. No, that's not good advice. Don't, don't, yeah. yeah, I think you should cut that out in this day and age. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm keeping it in. <laughs> uh, and when he did accept the role, he made the character closer to the books and further away from Roger Moore's version. I think that was a good move for him. I think we'll talk about that as we talk about the movie because there's certain things in this that don't really work. I think. And I a lot have, of it does, it does, but there are things that don't work. Yeah, and I read something about this a long time ago, but I can't find it now to confirm it. So I'll talk mm -hmm. about that as well, which mm -hmm. links to that. Uh, fun fact. Have you got one? Yeah. Go on. The macaw. Oh, all right. The macaw squawking in the kitchen of Bladen House where Necros attacks the officers is the same macaw from the end of Foyara Eyes Only. Wow. Yeah. The things that bird's seen. Yeah, I know. It's... Mm. Roger Moore's sagging breasts. And? God, what's... I want to see where you go with this. <laughs> and some breasts that weren't sagging. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> well worth the wait. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say before we leap into the trailer? Mm. I was going to say, this is apparently the last Bond movie with an original Ian Fleming title until Casino Royale in 2006. 
you know on IMDb when you, you often get these um, facts that you never know whether they're true or not. And they're mm-hmm. usually about actors that, that were offered the part. Yes, yes. The great one I read was that apparently uh, Christopher Reeve turned down a million dollar contract to play Bond in this movie. All right. First thing, he's not British. Second mm-hmm. thing, a million dollars is not really that much to play James Bond, is it? It was the Broccoli's, though. I mean, they are notoriously uh, frugal, aren't they? Well, yeah, but still, that's like nothing, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was, wasn't was that much for it either. No. Even in 86? Yeah, that must have been, yeah. I can't imagine mm-hmm. that's much. Um, did you read that the ending was originally supposed to have... Um, parodies of Charles and Diana in it in the same way that um, they'd done parodies of Margaret Thatcher and oh, Dennis. That would have dated. It would have dated, wouldn't it? <laughs> almost, almost as much as the uh, Get a Blaster later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a date. This was an interesting one. When it was unclear if uh, Roger Moore would return, the producers came up with a, a, an idea just in case he did come back where they would have pitted him against an evil villainess played by Betty Davis. That's very interesting. Mm. Wow. Hmm. Imagine that. I can. I'm doing it right now. He's about his right age at that point, wasn't he? <laughs> he could have confused her. <laughs> yeah, but the Bond girl would have still been half his age. Well, more oh, than half his age. Half his age is still too old. But yeah, I'd, have, I'd have paid to see Roger Moore going up, going up against uh, Betty Davis. That would have been... Well, that's a whole different film, Paul. <laughs> I said going, going up against, not rubbing up against. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, the two other facts that, that I thought were interesting was the Pet Shop Boys were um, actually originally appointed to do the song, but declined because they, they actually thought they were going to get to do the soundtrack as well. I would love to hear a Pet Shop Boys theme tune for the Bond films. I think they'd be perfect for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a little fun fact for you, Colin, that I found just for you. Just you for ready? Me. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me strap in. You're going to want to strap in for this, trust me. One of the actresses who originally auditioned for the role of Cara was Matilda May. Oh, really? But, no, she's supposed to be Russian, right? Mm-hmm. It would have confused 80s audiences, let's say. Not now, I don't think, but I think I think in the 80s it would have confused people. Yeah, maybe. Still, I would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Never a truer word was said by you on that. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so do you want to play the trailer? Yeah, let's hear the trailer. The name that means excitement is back. Bond. James Bond. That girl must be very talented. Shoot up. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. Wherever he goes, adventure follows. Two of our men are dead. Koskov's name to you. Then I must die. Eliminate him. Kill him!
for the moment. He lives on the edge. Whoever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights. Well, that tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? So it opened with a comfy and familiar United Artists logo. You know where you are there, don't you? Yeah, the white searchlights and the Bond eye with Dalton making his first appearance. He turns, he fires, Bond is back. You know, I'm going to be really angry if there's no gun barrel sequence at the start of No Time to Die. Prepare to be angry, Paul. They did it in Spectre. Sort of. They'll do it sort of in this as well. No, he had, a, he had an old-fashioned one at the beginning of Spectre. I'm sure he did. Did he? Yeah. Oh, God, all those films blend into one now. Yeah, I know what you mean. They do. But by that point, he's Bond, so they did it. Okay. Finally. Well, hopefully they'll do it with this one. Uh, but he's not Bond, is he, at the start of it, apparently? He's on. He's retired, so maybe they won't. No, if they, if they got the... Uh, who's the actress that's going to be... That everyone was outraged that she's... 007, maybe they should have her walk on into the searchlight, turn and fire. That would really drive people insane. You know what? Now you've said it, I wouldn't be shocked if they did it. Oh. In fact, I was convinced now you've said it, they're going to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, 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 that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then Daniel Craig comes on and pushes her over. <laughs> it's a whole new look for the Bond films. <laughs> It's going back to the original Casino Royale. No, not the remake, but the original Peter Sellers version. Uh, but he won't. No. Do you know, that? I guarantee you, we'll talk about this come April, but I bet that happens. We'll see. Mm. We open up on what looks like the fortifications of Normandy on D-Day, but it's in fact Gibraltar. Easy mistake. It, easy, because my typo on my thing says Normandy rather than Normandy. <laughs> so I had to, like, Norman. No, Norman's got fortifications up again. Oh, bloody <laughs> Norman with his fortifications. The camera pans up the famous rock of Gibraltar. Inside what appears to be an office is M addressing some men in black uniforms and equipment. It tells them that while as far as the Ministry of Defence is concerned, this is only an exercise. For him, it's a matter of pride. The 007 section has been chosen for this test. Now, some of these 00s aren't going to survive this, are they? Uh, does any 00 who is not 007 survive anything? <laughs> I was going to say, we, we should say that no other 00s in any Bond movie ever live, do they? Nope, there's a few killed in this one, and then 006 gets killed in Goldeneye. That's true, yes. Mm. And we had the one in at the beginning of Octopussy as well, who gets knifed in the back, yeah. dressed as a clown. Yeah. That's right. No, 003 and a half, that was right. <laughs> yes, it was, yes. He, he got the half for slapping someone. Because <laughs> you, that... you get the double O's for killing someone, so you get a half for yeah. slapping someone. Oh, right, okay. A woman? Mm. Oh, A woman? <laughs> no, you can't do that. Can't do that. No, 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 you can't do that. No. We see a pilot clip M into a secure line. He continues to tell them the job is infiltrate the radar installations of Gibraltar, but the SAS have been placed on full alert to expect them. He signals with his head and wishes the men good luck. And then we see we're on a Hercules troop carrier. Uh, airplane for you. I know what it is. 
Okay, the back opens. M suddenly realizes his papers are going to be blown everywhere and runs back to stop them. <laughs> it's easy to forget that because we've seen this film so many times, it was probably a surprise that they're on a plane. Yes, yes, because there's no indication at first. Mm. And mm. so it's a, it's a very good play on the normal way a Bond film opens. Mm. Mm-hmm. With M, I mean, not the actual opening, but an M opening. Because he's yes. always in his office. So, yeah, it's good. And we've also seen, like, his office be in different locations before. Yeah, yeah. Apparently this is the last time they do that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. have a, an M office? Have an, have an M office in different places other than at, the, in London. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Hercules is high up and the men jump from the back of it. They free fall over Gibraltar. You know, if this is a, a Mission Impossible movie, Tom Cruise would do this for real, don't you? Yeah, he would. He would. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, it's not, so we, they didn't. Opening their parachutes as they get closer to the ground, and in the bushes, a man with a pair of binoculars watches them. Familiar, Paul? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've never I've never used binoculars. All right, you just, you know, look with your normal eyes, don't you? <laughs> don't need binoculars, you're really close up. Dude, can podcasts incriminate you? No, no, I think it's like some kind of, like, no man's land. Ah. Uh, international waters. Okay, good to know. Right, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first man lands on a sandy track. Sandy track? Sounds like <laughs> 1960s group singer. <laughs> He's like, oh, get off me, man. <laughs> but this guy quickly pulls in his parachute, and the second and the third land on a road. The fourth crashes into a tree. He releases his chute as he dangles in the air and drops to the ground. He starts to take his gear off on a whir of an SAS soldier approaching from behind him. The soldier fires a paintball that explodes into the man's back. He turns and the soldier fires again. That's it, chum. You're out of it. This would be me, wouldn't it? Killed instantly after being stuck in a tree. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> he's like, what, what's he doing? Oh, don't worry, he's just a branch officer. Oh, very good. <laughs> So another agent throws a grappling hook up the cliff side and starts to climb. Up above, we see the man that was watching them look down. He reaches for something from his pocket. Just then, a soldier paintballs him in the back. Game's up, mate. You're dead, he says. But the man pulls out a gun with a silencer and kills the soldier. Why are all the SAS Cockney geezers? Uh, that's part of uh, the requirements of being in the SAS. Is it really? You've got to be a Cockney geezer? Yeah, apparently, yeah. 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 I could do that, couldn't I? I could. I could fall by me, governor. No. Yeah. Birds and all that, you know. I You're could about pull. as cockney as a flat cap and then whip it. <laughs> he reaches back into his pocket and pulls out what looks like a tag. The agent climbing up the rock face sees him and wonders what he's doing. The man hooks the tag onto the agent's ropes and it slides down towards him. He looks at it. There's something written on it. But when he looks up, the man is cutting his ropes. He screams, no, as the rope is cut, and he plummets down the cliffside. Bond, we don't know he's Bond yet, but he turns and sees the body bouncing off the rocks. He looks up and sees the killer on top of the cliffside. (gasps) The music starts to get rousing. It's a great reveal for a new Bond, though, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's really good. Perfect, Yeah. yeah. Bond runs to the top of the cliff. He examines the rope and sees it's been sliced away. He finds the body of the shot soldier. 
Suddenly a Burberry ape startles Bond as it scampers past. Meanwhile, the killer murders another soldier and steals a military Land Rover. Bond looks over the cliffside down to the road and sees the Land Rover speed away. He gives chase. Dalton's Bond doesn't work well with animals, does he? You notice that? Oh, I haven't. Explain. Well, he gets he gets startled by birds twice. Once hmm. at the end of this movie and again in Licence to Kill. Okay. Wow. And uh, he has a, an encounter with a little monkey thing in this one. The only thing he's scared of. Right, so they should just throw apes at him. Blofeld's surrounded by small uh, baboons. Small. Yeah. <laughs> Get them, my pets. <laughs> no! It's just, and then, and then, yeah, Blofeld just rubbing, rubbing a small orangutan <laughs> instead of a cat. There's something not... That doesn't sound right. I don't like that. <laughs> you don't like that? <laughs> He's rubbing his orangutan again. <laughs> Which are the ones with the red bombs? I think they're baboons, aren't they? I think, yes, baboons, you're right. Yes. Yes. Ooh. You wouldn't want that on your knee, would you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How long's it been, Colin? <laughs> any, any baboon to a part? Isn't that the saying? <laughs> a soldier tells Bond to halt and fires a paint pellet at him. Bond knocks him over and continues running. He jumps off the road and onto the roof of the Land Rover as the soldier yells, Hang on! You're dead. More Cockney geezers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The killer, realising Bond is on the roof, tries to swerve left and right at high speed to knock him off. Bond clings onto the roof. The killer fires his gun through the canvas roof, but Bond luckily avoids those shots. The Land Rover speeds towards the sentry post of a barrier. The soldier shoots paint bullets, the windscreen smearing it, but the killer runs the soldier over and crashes through the barrier. Now, it's a shame about the, the dodgy back projection during all this because the rest of it is really good. It's not that dodgy. I've seen worse in a Bond film. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But it, it's, it's not, it just kind of takes you out of it a little bit every time you see it. You notice it, I think. Oh, uh, Doesn't bother I, you? I, no, I've never never thought that when I've watched it. Mm, okay. And some, some of the times it is Timothy Dalton on the roof of a... A car that's moving. I'm not which sure it's moving at that weird. speed. Which is what's weird about it. They obviously needed some some extra footage, didn't they? So, well, also you can't have Timothy Dalton on a fast moving jeep on a small road in Gibraltar because you don't want to kill him. So yeah, he's he, obviously filmed he in different places. He is literally on top of that car a, a few times, though. You can see it's real. Yeah, but it's probably not in the same location and probably not moving at the same speed. No, what I'm saying though is, if they could get those shots of him in in the real world, why put the back projection in later? Why do more? Uh, that's probably a logistical reason that mm. we don't know. But all right, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers you. So. A little bit, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. A soldier of real ammo jumps out of the sentry post and opens fire. He hits some wooden boxes in the back of the Land Rover. These boxes are full of ammunition, and flames start to ignite around them. Bond continues to hang on. He pulls out a knife, slices the roof and reaches in to grab the killer. They struggle. The Land Rover, now with smoke and fire, continues along the road. The killer knocks the knife out of Bond's hands. The car careers into the tables of chairs of an outside cafe and a souvenir stand. That's traditional Bond. It is very traditional Bond. And I'm waiting for the guy with the drink. 
yeah, he's not in this. Missed opportunity. And oh. I hope he's in no time to die. <laughs> My comeback. He's still alive, apparently. Is he? Yeah, yeah. He's got cirrhosis, but of the liver. <laughs> but, you know, he's still alive. He's got a crick in the neck from all that double taking he's done. That That's um, what the new bonds are missing. A pigeon double taking. Oh, could you? Oh, that would be amazing if they did that, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. One last gasp. Um... I did like the headbutt in the car you that Bob like, gives the guy. Yeah, you like a good headbutt, right? Yes. But it was very Connery. Yeah, it is, like any means necessary, yeah. right? Yeah. You've yeah. got to say that if if it's true, and I, and I think you're going to talk about this, aren't you? And I've read both versions that it is true and, and then another version that it isn't true. But there's that story, isn't it, that this was originally written for Roger Moore. If that yeah. is true... Could you imagine Roger Moore doing this? No, I could imagine Roger Moore's stuntman doing it. I was going to say, the, the terrible way that they fake everything, you know, the physicality of it all. Yeah, you complained about the back projection. Imagine the amount of back projection you would do if Roger Moore was doing this. Absolutely, absolutely, I know. Yeah. Bond tries to grab the steering wheel. The Land Rover sideswipes a number of cars, then crashes through a wall over a cliff, heading to the ocean below. Bond punches the killer, then with his foot, smashes the windshield through. He then pulls the ripcord of his parachute and is pulled out to the back of the vehicle. The killer screams and the Land Rover explodes. Bits of burning wood hit Bond's parachute, setting a light. He needs to find somewhere to land, and what he sees is a private yacht. His now smoking, burning parachute twirls as he steers towards it. On the yacht, a woman in a bikini is on the phone. She's complaining. It's oh so boring here, nothing but playboys and tennis pros. If only I could find a real man. There's a crashing sound from above. Bond swings from the roof. I need to use your phone. He takes it. She'll call you back. Who are you? She asks. Bond. James Bond. Exercise control, Bond here. I'll report in an hour. The woman clinks a champagne glass. Bond looks across. Won't you join me? Better make that too, he says into the phone. Now that is a Bond opening. It is. It's a fantastic um, pre-credit sequence. It's one of the mm -hmm. best, I think. Yeah. Uh, this woman's uh, Bond's only other rumpy pumpy in this film as well. Ah, Okay. Roger Moore would put up with that, would he? No, he would have done five by now. <laughs> but yeah, it is a great opening. It's one of the best. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of, well, this little last bit reminds me of the opening in Russia from Love. Bond is with his girlfriend, Sylvia Trench, mm -hmm. who he met in Doctor No, which is mm. an interesting point that she carries over for two films. Yes. And he gets a call on his car phone and he says on the phone, I'll be there in an hour. And then she puts her hands on him and he says, make that an hour and a half. Yes. So so Dalton's already uh, more virile. Yes. He can go yeah. for two. Well, yeah. Yeah, but it's a nice callback, I think. It is. And there's another callback to, to Connery's Bond later in this film that, that I noticed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Now we're going to the music and mm. the opening sequence by Morris Binder. It's one of his last ones, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Mm. It's a good one. He's, he, he he does his usual half naked boob and bit of bush. You prefer these to the more recent ones, right? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. What was what's the one with all the playing cards bleeding all over the place and Casino Royale. <sighs> where's the where's the women skiing in the half naked? Where's the where's the suggestive gun barrels poking into things? Where's that gun? Why can't we have that anymore? You're revealing far too much about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. It, it's a shame isn't it it's a shame what what the world's come to we open on a street scene at night in a place called Bratislava in Czechoslovakia inside a concert hall an orchestra are performing a man sits in one of the box seats he impatiently checks his watch Bond enters you're bloody late Bond says they'll still have time and asks where the man is Saunders points him out Bond also notices the woman playing the cello from the moment that he walks in and he sits down to the, to this first line, we already know that this is going to be a different, more intense character than we've seen before, don't we? Yeah, he's a miserable sad. <laughs> he's, he's just he's very he's just committed to his job. Focused. Focused. Well, he's not that focused. He's focused on the woman playing the cello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There is that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Saunders tells Bond that for once he should forget the ladies. Saunders goes on to say that Koskov will leave the concert at the interval and that they better get ready. They head to an office across the street. Upstairs, they enter a room and Saunders turns the light on. Bond tells him to turn it off. It's clear that he has no time for Saunders and Saunders doesn't like Bond. No, Bond thinks that Saunders is an idiot, doesn't he? By this Pretty point. much, yeah. He's only known him for two seconds. He already thinks he's an idiot. Well, he's met the type before. He has, he has, yeah. Yeah. There's a sophisticated sniper rifle under the sheets on the bed. Saunders tells Bond that Koskoff is a top KGB mastermind and that his defection is his baby. He offers Bond the soft-tipped bullets, but Bond takes the steel-tipped because of the body armour KGB operatives were. Bond asks Saunders what the exit plan is and Saunders smugly says that under Section 25, Paragraph 5, it's a need-to-know basis. I'm sure you understand, old man. I like the voice. It's good. Thanks. <laughs> a big enough gun, though, isn't it? Yeah, get the job done, right? Yeah, I wrote in my notes. Bloody big gun, Jimmy, isn't it? But he can handle it. He's used to a big gun. Oh, is he ever, eh? <laughs> uh, the, 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 one of the strangest, biggest ones is in the posters for A View to a Kill. I don't remember that. Remind me. Okay. Roger Moore and Grace Jones are stood back to back. Now, Grace Jones is a lot taller than Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they extended the size of Roger Moore's gun so it matches the height of Grace Jones's head. I'll have to go back and have a look at that. Yeah, take a look. Oh, that's interesting. I'm pretty mm. sure that, that, that Roger never needed to uh, extend the size of his uh, gun for anybody, really. He was Roger. More. More, yeah. He didn't have <laughs> enough more. Koskoff has a sniper assigned to him and asks for Bond personally to protect him. Bond wonders why. Saunders says Koskoff is under the impression that you're the best, and he, he says that, like, sarcastically. Mm. And the way, that, the way that Bond looks at him when he says it as well. Mm. It's like, yeah, yes. yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you would, you're Bond. Mm. Bond takes a rifle and goes to the window. Saunders can't get his night goggles to work. Bond opens them for him. They're bloody big goggles as well, aren't they? Very 1986. Yes, that's true. You think they'd be very small now? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah. Okay. 
The orchestra finishes. Koskoff goes to the bathroom. He climbs out of the window. Bond and Saunders see him escape. Bond sees a sniper in the window. It's the woman with the cello. Koskoff runs across the street. Saunders urges Bond to shoot her. Bond fires, hitting her rifle. You miss, says Saunders, deliberately. Koskoff runs across the street and Saunders lets him in. The KGB run out of the concert hall to try and find Koskoff. Saunders lets Koskoff out the back way. Bond watches the cello player leave. There's a lot of toilet action in this film, isn't there? You get some toilet action here and then there's a, a, a big toilet scene coming up later. Yes. Are you, are you unhappy about that? No, no, no. I'm just saying I like, I like toilet actions. <laughs> <laughs> You might want to rephrase that a little bit. Well, I like action in toilets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> no, 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 some no, no, people yeah. call it cottaging. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't live in uh, the country. Um, it, it, it's always interesting to see um, to see to see what, the toilets in a toilet film. Action. You love toilet yeah. action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah actually, yeah. you very rarely see a toilet in a film. That's what I'm going for. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you ever made a film, it'd just be toilet action. Three O's. <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This film flushed away. Is it like, you know, children's cartoon? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if you got that in the wrong box? Yeah. Wow. Could be some uh, lawsuits there, wouldn't it? Getting in the wrong box is part of the plot to your version of Flushed Away. <laughs> My version. Yeah, oh, your I, version. I haven't made it. You will do, though, <laughs> one day. <laughs> when I've hit rock bottom. <laughs> Literally. <Yeah. laughs> okay, just say. So he missed killing her not because um she was a sexy lady which is what saunders thinks right missed because he recognized the fact that she was an amateur yes mm-hmm. yes oh he not, that's he what not- it that that that's what and i'm doing giant air quotation he says later yes <laughs> <laughs> well wouldn't you yes yes bond leaves the back way and asks saunders where koskoff is he's in the boot of the car First place they'll look, says Bond. Get him out. But my escape route, protests Santos. Scrubbed, replies Bond. He tells Koskoff to get in the front, and he tells Sanders to lose the equipment and to meet them at the border. Where are you taking him? How will they get him out? asks Sanders. Sorry, old man. Section 26, paragraph 5. Need to know. I'm sure you'll understand. <laughs> now, again, we've gone from a a really strong pre-credit sequence to, to an opening sequence in a Bond movie, which is... Just as good, I think. All oh, this is fantastic, isn't it? It's very spy. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. We've not had a bond like this for for a long time. I don't think up to this point. Oh, oh. oh don't tear up, Paul. Don't tear up. <laughs> not yet. I'll do it later. <laughs> All right. Okay. He drives away, leaving Saunders with the gun. Bond and Koskoff navigate the streets. Koskoff asks Bond if he killed the sniper. Bond says he would rather not talk about it. Koskoff asks. How is he going to get out? Bond replies, don't worry, we have a pipeline to the West. See, Which- this, this, is, this is what I was, I was referring to earlier <clears throat> with the things that, that don't work in this movie are, are the little one-liners that, that Dalton has to say. I don't think that they... It, it, it doesn't feel natural to him, I don't think. 
Yeah, this one I don't mind, but there's some later, like, he got the boot and things like that. Mm-hmm. that yeah, that they don't fit. And would give me evidence to think that whoever wrote the script thought that it was going to be a Roger Moore film to a certain yeah. degree. You can imagine him saying these and they'd work if he said them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably why then, when you get licensed, there's very few in that at all. Yes, right. Right. As much as I like Timothy Dalton, he's not the most comedic of actors. No, no. He's still better than yeah. Crap, though. Yeah, the, yeah, he's better than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, and um, we see that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this pipeline to the West is the Trans-Siberian Pipeline. Mm-hmm. So we meet a female Russian at the gate of this pipeline. Comedy Russian. Comedy Russian. Yes, she is. Called Rosika Miklos, working for the West. And she lets Bond into the factory. And they put Koskov into what's called a scouring plug, uh, which is also named a pig. And this moves along the pipe, cleaning the interior of the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But this one has been designed to carry a man. Now, Rosiska says that if the valve is opened below 100, Koskov will be turned into borscht. Koskov protests, but they push him in anyway. Rosiska goes to knock out the supervisor because when the pig goes, his control board will light up. As she like, enters the contr- like, like Christmas tree, as she says. Yes, yeah, but not like my last Christmas tree, which only half lights up. What did you do to it? Nothing, the bulb went, and I can't find which one it is. Oh, dear. Mm. Mm. Nothing worse than a bulb going in your Christmas. Ah, oh, that's a lie. There are a few things worse, like famine and, you know. <laughs> say, first world problem, anyone? Oh, no. <laughs> a Christmas tree. That's it. Christmas is cancelled. <laughs> Lights not lighting up. It's finished. It's over. It's a waste of time. I'm going to bed for four weeks. I'll see you in February. It does sound like my Christmases. <laughs> <laughs> she enters the control room and starts to hmm, undo her overalls. Well, I don't like. I don't like the way you're going with this. You don't? Not the way you're saying it. No. Well, she's like teasing the guy to, you know, the supervisor mm-hmm. to uh, distract him. Bond watches the pressure gauge, not of her, but of the, you know the pig. Yes, I'm following you, yes. Yeah, yeah. She buries the supervisor's face into her ample chest. Well, there's worse ways to go, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Mm. In the background, there's the sounds of a football match with crowd cheering. <laughs> Does that amuse you? Well, it, I think it's done on purpose, right? Because he yeah. buries a face in it and the crowd cheers. Yes, it's a goal. <laughs> yes, I think that's the point, right? Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. again, is a very Roger Moore touch. Very much. This whole bit's mm. very odd, Jamori, isn't it? Yes. Mm. The gauge hits 100 and flashing red lights go off and a siren. But the supervisor, he's a little distracted. Well, you would be. Bond fires the scouring plug. Well, you know, it's always important to clean your pipes once every uh, once in a while, isn't it? And involves firing your scouring plug. It does. The pressure drops and the sirens and lights stop. Rosika pushes the supervisor away. What kind of girl do you think I am, she says in Russian. Outside, a roaring sound can be heard coming from the pipeline as the pig shoots along. And at the other end, whoa, Q is waiting. 
He might as well be because he doesn't have much to do in this film, does he? No, he gets more in license to kill. He does, yeah. He actually goes into the field, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he goes in the field. Maybe, well, if he, at his age, you know, bladder issues, probably does go in the field. <laughs> at his age? Like it. At his age? Really? Yeah, my age. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. They open the pig. Te- te- although technically, I suppose, Q's in the field at this point as well, isn't he? Uh, yes, he is. That's true. Yes, mm. because they're not in England. No. They open the pig and Q greets him. Welcome to Austria. See, that's where they are. Yes. Yeah. Back at the border, Bond picks up Sanders. Meanwhile, Koskoff is being hurried into a jump jet. Guards at the border search Bond's car. As the guards let Bond through, they see the jump jet fly away. Bond smirks at Sanders. Cheer up, Sanders. This operation is success. It's still officially yours. But Sanders is a big, blooming baby. He is. Yeah, I don't intend to leave it at that, 007. I'm reporting to M that you deliberately missed. Your orders were to kill the sniper. Stuff my orders, says Bond. I only kill professionals. Not not entirely sure that's true, because I remember a Bond film where he he killed somebody who wasn't a professional. Hmm. Which one was that? Oh, God, you're asking me to remember it? Uh, I think it's Dr. No. Uh, I fired my six. Oh, yes. Yes, it was Dr. No. Yes. Yeah, and that guy wasn't a professional, right? No, no, he he didn't know what he was doing, did he? No. So, no, lying though, Bond, but okay. Different time, different time. Yeah, yeah. Makes him feel better. Sleeps at night. Mm. That girl didn't know one end of the rifle from the other. Go ahead. Tell M what you want. If he fires me, I'll thank him for it. So, this is the first time we see a pissed off, tied with the job Bond, right? Yeah, he doesn't care much for authority at all, does he? No, and then we never stop seeing it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to be said, and it is, a, it is a thing that's been said many times by many people, but Dalton's Bond, ahead of his time. Oh, totally, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly the... It's almost the prototype of what we've got now. Absolutely, yes. Q is going through the files of various Russian female agents to try and find the cello player for Bond, but none of them match. Moneypenny mm-hmm. tells Bond that he's wanted at the Bladen safe house. Before he leaves, there's just a chance to see one of Q's little devices. It's called a, uh, a ghetto blaster. Ugh, that dates it, doesn't it, as I said earlier? Yeah. Moneypenny's got an upgrade, though, from the last time we saw her. She does. She's uh, um, young. We're we going with this. Go on. With, with, with giant glasses that are actually now back in fashion. They are. They look good on her. They do? Yeah. In fact, she looks like... better with them than she does without them. You know, they give her something. What? Eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> Money Penny hurries Bond up and tells him that M wants him to stop at Harrods and pick up a parcel. Bond asks Moneypenny to keep a check on the new service for anything on a female cellist from the Conservatoire in Bratislava. Moneypenny mm-hmm. remarks that she didn't know that Bond was such a music lover and that any time he'd like to drop by and listen to her Barry Manilow collection. Bond pats her on the bum and leaves. He's a modern... Hello, HR. It's a far cry from the modern Moneypenny that we get now, isn't it? She'd kick him in the bollocks. Yes, that's true. She mm. would. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like the new money, Penny. So do I. 
in fact, if they were going to do a spin-off, Money Penny mm-hmm. would be the one they should do. Oh, get a Money Penny walking out to the gun barrel sequence. That'd be good. Yeah, I'd watch that. Out in the country, we see a guy jogging, almost knocking over a milkman. Mm. As the milkman returns, he is strangled by the jogger. Mm. This dates his film, Milkmen. Milkmen, yeah, you don't see them anymore. No. Did, he, did he go down to our price, his local our price, and pick up a tape of the soundtrack? Yeah, because we hear it playing in the distance, right? We do, yeah. That's, yeah. that's also something... I'm reminded of Ghostbusters because one of the tracks on the Ghostbusters soundtrack album is only heard on the headphones in one of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a thing they did. I remember the days of coming back from a nightclub and the only other people out on the streets were the electric vehicles of the milkman. Yeah, the little hum that they made. Yeah. It's weird, like, of all the... Modern technology, the milkmen were ahead of everybody else. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, because yeah. all their vehicles were electric. I would imagine that some of them still are around. I would kind of hope so. In a nostalgic kind of way. You could a milk float, though, couldn't you? Really? What? You could a milk float. float. I don't think you could, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Back then I could. Really? No, not really, no, no. No. <laughs> Apart from the fact the only time that you ever heard him was because you were drunk, staggering <laughs> home from a nightclub at three in the morning. <laughs> There's no way you're going to outrun a milk flow. Better <laughs> <laughs> get run over by one. <laughs> Actually, we knew somebody at school got hit by a milk flow. Yes, we did, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This whole conversation is alienating anybody outside the UK. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is a milk float? Yeah. Floating milk? What's that? What's that? <laughs> they got wizards in, in the UK, you know. They do, they float, float above milk. milk, but only milk. They're called druids. <laughs> they don't cross water, but they float across milk. <laughs> it's the cream of England. All right, so so we cut to Bond driving into the grounds of Bladen House. He's driving an Aston Martin V8 Vantage Series 2. A nice car. Outside, obviously, the DB5, this is my most favourite Aston Martin. Is it really? Even even beyond the D, DB5, then? Yeah, this is my favourite. The modern ones now, like the ones you see in Casino Royale and us... Skyfall, blah, 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 blah. They all look the same. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know the difference between them. Yeah. But this, and this Vantage Series 2 will make a brief reappearance in the 25th Bond movie, No Time to Die. Will it really? It will. Don't know how or why, but apparently it will. Oh, that'll be interesting to look for. Hmm, yeah. The security at the door take Bond's gun from him. Bond is greeted enthusiastically by Koskov. He hands over a basket brought from Harrods. I mean, I should say Bond hands over the basket. That sounded a bit weird. Mm-hmm. At the table is also M. Koskov starts to go through the basket. He takes out a bottle of Bollinger RD, the best. M, examining the receipt, gives Bond a dirty look. The brand on the list was questionable, sir, so I took the liberty of choosing something else. I quite like that bit. Well, that's what company credit cards are right for. Uh, that's what they're for, Colin, isn't it? 
Right. Colin? Uh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I do like um, the way that Jerome Clab, Clab, who's he? Clab, Clab, who's he? He's a, oh, new actor. I love him and his work. I do like the way that Jerome Crab um, plays Koskoff. He's so slimy and disgusting, isn't he? He's perfect, isn't it? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Hmm? yeah. He, he actually makes your skin crawl, I think, at times in this Ooh. film. Does he? Mm. Like, looking in a mirror, Paul. Looking in a mirror. What? 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 Is that the way you feel when you look at him? Oh, you meant me. Oh, right. (laughs) All right, okay. M suggests they continue the briefing outside, and now fake milkman is searched by the guard, but nothing is found, and he's allowed to go in around the back. Did you know that um, Timothy Dalton insisted on smoking in this movie? Why? Well, the producers didn't want Bond to smoke anymore, but he insisted he felt that Bond would smoke. He wanted it to be true to the character in the books. Can't argue with that, really. I guess he would back then. Mm-hmm. Mm. But they, they didn't want it. Now I don't think Bond would smoke. If you had a Bond who was now, you'd have to be the peak of health to mm. fight and to do all the things you're expected to do. So smoking was, certainly would not help that. But back then, everyone did mostly didn't they 70s 80s it was a thing so yeah 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 still right. a, a little a little uh tip bit there just a tip yeah a, almost a quantum <laughs> <laughs> a quantum of tip bit you've got that in twice now that's more than they did in that film i know amazing yeah Koskoff tells the men around the table that he's defecting because of General Pushkin, his KGB superior. Koskoff says that Pushkin and him used to be brothers, but now Pushkin is a different man. Power has gone to his head. He's sick. He reveals he has a secret directive from Pushkin called Schmitz Bienum. Death to spies. It is an assassination program of targets, British and American spies. He hands it to M. He says that his intention is to start a war between intelligence agencies that could lead to a nuclear war, unless Pushkin can be put away. Kuskov says Pushkin is leaving for Tangiers in three days, a North African trade convention. But the real reason is a new directive. M says they should adjourn and talk to a higher authority. Oh, God's here? <laughs> they leave. The fake milkman, who is an assassin called Necros, Enters the kitchen. Bond and the ministers leave Bladen House. Now the chef is cutting the meat and Necros attacks him. As he's putting the body in a freezer, an agent enters and sees him. Now this agent tries to call security but it's attacked. A fight breaks out. Now, this is a pretty good fight, right? I think that this is a near-perfect fight sequence, to be honest. Yeah, this agent is pretty competent, he is. He actually does a pretty good job. He, and, and the fight itself uses all the environment and all the, the stuff in the kitchen. Um, and it's pretty brutal at times, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Brutal. It's almost like they wrote it for Bond. Mm. Like like the writer went, okay, what would Bond do? And then just wrote it for this agent. Cause... The way that the, 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 he's grabbing things that are around him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Bond would win, though. That's yeah, that's the only thing that the stage obviously can't can't win, but it's still a great fight sequence. It, it is, and it's almost a shame that that the agent ends up being knocked out with a frying pan. 
But aren't we all knocked out with a frying pan? Well, How many times have you been hit by a frying pan? I've never been hit by a frying pan. Have you not? No. I've had oh. a hammer thrown at me, but I've never been hit by a frying pan. Well, that's four for you. <laughs> so anyway, yes, Necros knocks out the agent mm-hmm. or kills him, not sure which, and then uses his uh, radio to pretend that he's the agent because he does a fantastic English accent that oh, fools everybody. Someone does. Someone does. Yeah, someone does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And says uh, there's an emergency call because there's a gas leak and that the building needs to be evacuated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Necros picks up a gun and he has explosives disguised as milk bottles. That's that's forward thinking, that is, isn't it? It is, but in fairness, I've had yogurt that does that to me. <laughs> the difference is the yogurt isn't explosive until later, is it? Yeah, it's like um, <clears throat> when you mix two chemicals yes. to create the explosion. Yes. Yogurt on its own, perfectly fine. Yogurt and me, explosive. Let's not talk about where it's mixed. Let's let's leave. Oh no, let's not. Let's leave. Yeah. Let's leave. Yes, the imagination of the listeners who are sitting there going, "Why is yogurt explosive?" No. <laughs> <laughs> they should teach that in chemistry class. They should better than the crap we did get taught. Yes, I know. <laughs> crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Necros throws one of these bottles and it explodes. The security thinks it's gas explosions. Did you see that when he throws one of the bottles onto the stairs as the two guys are coming down, the explosion actually kicks in a second before the bottle actually lands? Oh, I didn't. Does it really? It does, yeah. <laughs> uh, never mind. We'll let it slide. Koskov sees Necros and tries to make a move, but Necros grabs him and his bodyguards and he grabs the list and burns it. Outside, a medical helicopter lands. Necros knocks Koskov out, and at gunpoint orders a bodyguard to get him to the helicopter. The medical team straps Koskov into a stretcher and loads him into the helicopter. Necros climbs in, and it flies away. We cut to M. Ooh, he needs livid. He is He's not as livid as that annoying minister, though, is he, that's next to him? Oh, that minister is always annoyed. Ugh. You don't like him? He's just irritating. Bond should take him out. <laughs> for for drinks? <laughs> for drinks, you know, a nice movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who Dinner, knows what might happen? Yeah. Flowers. Mm. Yeah. The first major coup in years and Koskov is snatched right under their noses by the KGB. M tells Bond that he's got to go to Tangier and terminate Pushkin. Bond is sure he knows Pushkin and can't believe he's psychotic. Mm-hmm. Neither did M until he reveals that the belongings are returned from Gibraltar and that something was found near 004's body. He mm-hmm. shows it to Bond. It's a tag the assassin had dropped down the line. On it is written Schmidt Spino. M reveals that Bond's name is on Pushkin's list. Bond says there's a few things he'd like to check out first, like the cellist. He didn't say it like, quite like that. No, he didn't. Uh, I added that. <laughs> did he wink as well? <laughs> he did. And then he went, Quah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you jeopardised the entire mission to avoid shooting a uh, beautiful woman. Bond says he had to make a split-second decision. 
it was instinct. M's not impressed. He says he'll recall 008 from Hong Kong. He'll do the mission. He follows orders, not instincts. Bond says no. If it has to be done, he'd rather do it. We cut to Q and he hands Bond a keychain. You arm it by pressing a button. When you whistle the first bars of Real Britannia, it gives out stun gas. Mm. Yeah. And mm. it's packed with explosives that's activated by a wolf whistle. Ah, uh, classic Bond. Absolutely. You can say the 80s. What a time when a magnetic musical keyring was capable of wowing an audience, eh? That's true. Although it's weird that a wolf whistle would blow it up because a wolf whistle now you hardly ever hear, rightly mm -hmm. so. But back in the 80s, you heard all this, the time. So <laughs> that's kind of dodgy if you've got one in your pocket. And a, an attractive woman walks past the construction site. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, my God, I hope those builders don't. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing it out. <laughs> or or if Bond walked past a construction site that was being manned by the guy from the village people. Be a big bang. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> we've, already, we've already established that Bond's packing, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Moneypenny knocks on the glass to get Bond's attention as Q hands him a special lockpick that can break 90% for the world's locks. He'd be a bugger if he just got that 10%, wouldn't he? Screwed. <laughs> but then you just probably kick that one in. Yeah, yeah. Bond goes over to see what she wants. She's found information on the cellist. Her name is Kara Milovi. The article reveals that she'll be back playing with the orchestra on Thursday afternoon. That's tomorrow. Bond asks Moneypenny to get him travel documents for Tangier via Bratislava and to keep it between themselves. I just don't know how you keep it between yourselves when you're ordering travel documents for airplanes and stuff. You know, the finance department would know, then budgeting would know, mm -hmm. and then you think M would go, what the fuck's this? Yeah, he's not going where he was told to go, is he? He's told it's to like, go to San Yeah, and why is their travel budget like three times what it should be? <laughs> Bond knows how to play the system. I mean, I'm not Apparently. saying I, you know, but... Oh, have you been to Bratislava? It's all the time. All, all the, time. the time. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's one of those hot spots, you know. Yeah, Can't yeah. Stay lucky away from the place. Lucky for a big cellist. <laughs> I get out in those toilets. Yep. All right. With my cello. Um, did you did you see the the bit in Q's um, what would you call it? It's a, a workshop. A workshop's good. Yes. Were um. They're testing a giant couch that swallows people? Yes. In what scenario would you use that? <laughs> yeah, with a spy who's undercover, and then the police turn up who's hunting for that spy, and mm -hmm. then the sofa swallows her or him, mm -hmm. and then they come in and are like, where is he or she? And they can't find her because he or she is inside the sofa. You know what? That is that is excellent. Thanks. Thank you for that because that's just sold it to me. I mean, I was imagining thinking it it was some sort of um, you know weapon, and uh, and all you'll hear is the guy side going, "Let me out! <laughs> Let me yeah, yeah. out!" Oh, Bond uses sense. it when he's sleeping with someone else's wife. <laughs> oh, Roger would have made damn fine use of this, wouldn't he? He would have made more use of it than Dalton. 
Thank you. <laughs> we cut to Bratislava. Bond is listening to the orchestra and watching Kara play. He waits for her outside and follows her onto a tram. Mm-hmm. She sees undercover police and security and starts to panic. Now a security officer boards the tram. He grabs her and takes her off the tram, leaving the cello behind. Bond watches. The tram pulls into a station and Bond, he leaves with the cello. He heads to some public toilets. He goes into a cubicle and opens a case. And I don't know why people are weirded out by him going into the cubicle with a cello. I think they're more weirded out by... There's a moment where the cleaner's trying to look under the door and another guy walks in and sees the cleaner looking under the door and there's that. It's a, it's a, it's a dodgy man in a cubicle gag, isn't it? Yeah, but what would a musician with a priceless cello do with his cello when he's taking a pee in a public toilet? He would take the cello with him. He wouldn't leave you're, it. You're, what you're saying is why is the cleaner thinking there's anything weird about this? Yeah, if I was a cleaner, I'd be like, guy with a cello. Mm-hmm. That would be it. End of subject. It's not yeah. weird. It's a guy with a cello. Yeah. He's not having sex with a cello. Not yet. No, no. Uh, the cello has a pretty good G-string. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about um, Miriam Debose's character for a second? Oh, for a minute before we were talking about toilets. Uh, yeah. We've done that. <laughs> cellos. But all right. Yes, we can talk about her character. Go ahead. Her character in this movie gets a lot of stick at times, I think, for being... She's basically just damsel in distress all the time. Oh, I thought you meant from Bond, but okay. Yeah, that's later. Um, But I think that's unfair because I think all she's doing is she's playing a a normal person caught up in some things that are beyond her, really. I mean, how would you react if you were caught up in all this? You know, you wouldn't know what you were doing either, would you? Most Bond girls, and I use that term because that's what... uh, labeled mm. in these films even though not always are usually they're actually pretty strong women who are involved in something because they know what they're doing so if you think Pam Bouvier in License to Kill she's yeah. a CIA agent mm-hmm. Pussy Galore she mm-hmm. knows what she's doing mm-hmm. absolutely it's a myth is, that, that quote unquote Bond girls are badly written yeah this is the only one who is a person who doesn't understand what's going on around her and has been misled. Exactly, most, and that's the only reason Bond why girl, she plays it like that. Yeah, most Bond girls are involved in the situation either on the Bond side or on the enemy side. And, and in all fairness, she does get to kick some ass later in the movie. She does kind of come out of herself a bit and toughen up as the film yeah. goes along. Which for a cello player, which is all she is, don't forget. She's not an assassin. She's not a spy. She's a cellist. That's, you know, with the influence of Bond, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with the character. Neither do I. But some people do, apparently. Yeah, well, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so... While he's in the cubicle, he opens the case and it contains a rifle which has been damaged by his shot. He looks at the bullets and sees her address on a card in the case. Now, you don't understand why he's looking at the bullets and what he sees until later. Mm. This actually took me 
more than one viewing to understand. It's it's because they're blanks, aren't they? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We cut to Kara arriving home. She's been followed. She enters her apartment and finds the place has been gone over. Bond enters. He tells her he dropped the gun in the river. She asks who he is. Now, he doesn't answer. He doesn't. He asks where she was taken. KGB headquarters? She says they released her this morning, but he shows her that she was followed. And she doesn't understand and wants to know why he is trying to help her. Bond asks her if Pushkin wanted to know about Koskov. Kara says Pushkin wanted to know where he was, but she didn't tell him. Bond says it's clever at Koskov to use blanks and make the British think his defection was real. How do you know that? He told me, lies Bond. He knows the defection wasn't real because of the blank cartridges in her rifle. I do think that uh, for all his intenseness, Dalton has a really nice sideline in, in a softer edge, doesn't he, as well at times? Uh, Dalton is good at everything, perhaps not the comedy. That's the only thing. That, yeah, yeah. And maybe the, it, it doesn't feel right because he is so like hard-edged and everything else. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. just fit with a character. So you, maybe you, it's the writing's fault, not the actor's. Possibly, yeah. That the, 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 they didn't play to his strengths because it wasn't yeah. fair. Yeah, <clears throat> I do. You do get the impression though that Dalton's Bond, you know, could allow himself to get emotionally attached to to people. Whereas you never really got that with Roger Moore, and certainly never got that with Sean Connery. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. He tells her he saw Koskoff two days ago. He's safe and sound. Car is happy that Koskoff kept his promise to her and sent for her. Where are we going, she asks. London? Bond says, not yet. The British think he'll be safer if he's kept moving around for a while. We might catch up with him in Vienna. Bond says he has to leave immediately and tells her to pack. He glances out of the window and the security agent is sitting in the car outside. Minutes later, Bond leaves carrying a bag. He gets into his car. Carol leaves carrying her cello and enters a phone box. The security guard watches. A tram passes, blocking his view. When it clears, Kara is still in the phone box. Bond drives away. The security agent continues to watch. Are these KGB men the best that they've got? This this is like something from a Dad's Army episode, isn't it? First of all, you don't know Bond and you don't know the Aston Martin. That's not anything you're looking for you're just looking for the woman mm. you see her enter the phone box the tram goes past as far as you know she's still there how are you with your superior security <laughs> knowledge paul i've suspected anything different i mean it looks good works well in the film but i just always thought it felt a bit silly no but you have to see it from that guy sitting in the car's view yes yeah i can see he's that. been sitting there all day he's bored mm-hmm. he's cold he's mm-hmm. just watching he sees her get into the phone box. Forget Bond, because that's nothing to him. He's just looking at the woman. He doesn't know the guy. Mm-hmm. Her tram goes past. She's still in the phone box. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll take it nothing back. Wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disappointed in you. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kara pops up in Bond's car. He's happy they got away with it, but she wants to go back to the conservatoire and collect her cello. Bond says he'll buy her another one. They have about 
10 minutes before they're discovered. She says, I have to get my cello. Bond says, no way. Cut to Bond sitting in the car, waiting for Kara to appear with her cello. He's not happy. Softer side. Softer side? Mm -hmm. Also, moonlighting gag. Pilot. Yeah, I'm not going. No, it's one of the episodes where he says, I'm not going. And she's like, you have to go. And he's like, no way, I'm not going. Never go, go. And then he cuts to sitting in the car and he goes, you know I have to go. we still got half a show left. <laughs> so it's the kind of thing, we still got half a film left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in nine. We'll have to do that sometime. Yeah. Mm. She reappears and they ram this cello case into the car. Why didn't you learn the violin, Bond remarks. No, nothing. I thought you was good. You, you look like you had something. No, no, no. Okay. I like the line, though. There's some very good lines in this film. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, the security agent has discovered the ruse. Has he? Yes, yes, because he's come to investigate the phone box, opened it, and found that it's just a cello case with a hat. And, it, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble now. No, he's like, oh, should I, should I report this or just pretend that she's still here? <laughs> isn't this guy, this KGB guy, isn't it the same um, guy that's Pushkin's bodyguard later in the movie when Bond goes to assassinate him? That I don't know, is he? I think he is. I think he is. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. All right, so he's not doing well then. He's not doing well at all, no. It's that very tight leather jacket he's wearing. It's restricting his blood flow. No, but it's one you'd like to wear. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I like Bond's uh, chunky jumper that he's got on, actually, in this. Yeah, he's very uh, 89, right, with his yes. clothing choices. Very leather. Leather, leather jacket, chunky mm -hmm. jumper. Big collar up. They, they remind me of somebody. Don't know who you're talking yeah. about. No, I don't know. Oh, okay. Anyway, back in the Aston Martin, Bond switches the radio from music to the police radios. Kara translates that the police are looking for a man and a woman and a foreign car. And a cello retorts Bond, which I, I like too. Yes, yes. Bit of humour. It's the look it, he gives her when he says it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, oh, bloody you. Yeah. Although we do get an almost... Uh, similar line later in the movie don't we by do we yes women hmm. oh yes we do we'll get to that mm -hmm. they pass a police car that breaks and gives chase the police try to make bond pull over he presses a button and a laser comes out of the side of his car cutting the bottom half of the police car away what happened asks Kara. salt corrosion replies bond and the tumbleweed flies by <laughs> so these are the Roger Moore stuff, right? Yes, uh, yes. and he, he doesn't do it well. Yeah. Kara translates more from the radio. The police are setting up roadblocks. We see them move a large truck across the road, and the police get machine guns out. Bond approaches. The headlights drop down. Two missiles fly out and hit the truck. It explodes, and Bond drives through the fireball. The police open fire, but oh, the car is bulletproof. He swerves off the road and discovers he's heading to a lake. He drives into a shed. The shed is stuck to the car. He pulls out of the shed as a missile hits and it explodes. Machine gun fire rips off one of the tires. Bond uses a tireless wheel to cut a circle in the ice. 
and a police car is stuck and sinks in the now shattered ice flow. He engages skis on the car and pulls away. As he approaches a ramp, he turns on a rocket that propels the car through the air and it lands in a snowbank and gets stuck. That's the end of our Aston Martin. I do like this action sequence, but it does feel slightly out of place at times in this film, don't you think? No, but I don't mind it. I don't think it... Don't no, go it on. It's like a remnant from an earlier version of the script, I think. No and yes. No... I don't think, but yes, I understand. It's the Russians' reaction to what's going on. Mm. Like in the police car when they're like, ooh, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. That's what gives it that feeling, that Roger Moore comedic feeling. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind the devices and the cutting it and using the wheel to cut the ice. It's the Russians' reaction to it that makes it like that. Yeah, I can see that. And the terrible um, flat one-liners that he has to try and say. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas more would just they just slide off him like butter, wouldn't they? Like brill cream yes. through his hair. Very slick. Yes. So they clamber out of the car and Bond engages a self-destruct. It explodes as the Russians approach it. Gladi insisted you brought that cello, says Bond as he opens it up. They sit in the cello case and ski down a mountainside while Bond uses the cello to steer. The Russians give chase with bullets slamming into the snow around them. They slide to the border and under the barrier. We've got nothing to declare, says shouts Bond as they slide past the surprise border guards. Except well, this cello! You won't be able to do that now, post-Brexit, will you? No, not at all. Mm. Although, they're not sliding into England, Paul. No, but I'm just saying, you know, free yeah. movement and all that. Doesn't really affect European countries. I, I, it was a, it was an ill thought out joke. It was. Yeah. A... <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't have looked at it so deeply. It, no, you shouldn't have. It was a, it was a mild quip about Brexit. That's all it was. I don't think there should be any mild quips about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial. So, some of those gags don't work. Some of them. Glad I insisted you brought that cello. Works <clears> fine for me. Yeah, it's 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 lines like when he says, "Oh, it must be an atmospheric uh, atmospheric phenomenon." It, it, yes, it doesn't work. Or salt corrosion doesn't work. Right. Whereas we've nothing to declare. Works fine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. We cut to Tangier. Pushkin is arriving at a house. He enters in a uniformed. Darman tells him to wait while he finds the chief. As Pushkin walks down the corridor, he stares at all the wax figures of various tyrants, commanders, and soldiers. Mm-hmm. But one of the figures isn't made of wax. It's Brad Whitaker. This has been done before. I'm sure it has, hasn't it? The bad guy having wax figures that all look like him, and then he's actually standing there himself. And you supposedly can't tell that he's the real person until he moves. I'm We've sure seen that before. Seen, haven't we seen a version of it in a Bond film where Roger Moore is supposed to be a wax figure? Yes, it's um, Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, but I've never seen where it's a bad guy having a collection before. I don't think. I'm not talking necessarily in a Bond movie. I'm just saying right. we've seen it before in, in done in other movies. Other sure. Okay. Also, as well, it was always kind of weird. I felt when 
This same actor plays Whitaker, turns up in, in the Brosnan movies as a different character, doesn't he? He's uh, the CIA yeah. agent, yeah. right? Why didn't they use Felix Leiter in the Brosnan movies? I know, he's not in them at all, is he? No. Mm, very strange. So Whitaker introduces himself and leads Pushkin into another room. He shows Pushkin his hobby of reenacting battles with model soldiers. Have we seen that before in anything British? Uh, Callan. Yes, I believe so. You're waiting for me to say. No, You're testing no, no. me. You call tested, in testing yeah, me. It was a test, right? Yeah, yeah. Haha, <laughs> passed. <sighs> Pissed. Uh, so in this war room he has a giant painting of himself and there's music and sound effects of battles and uh, Whitaker shows Pushkin some modern weaponry samples of everything Pushkin ordered now Pushkin says the order is cancelled and that Whitaker should return the deposit Whitaker says that's impossible do you know how hard it is to get this stuff I've had to make payouts Bushkin says they know he has had to, the money in his account for eight weeks and no such payments have been made. Whitaker tries a different tact from one soldier to another, but Pushkin isn't buying it. What army did you serve in? And now he goes on to say that Whitaker was expelled from West Point for cheating and did a short stint as a mercenary in the Belgian Congo, later worked with various criminals to help finance the first arms deals. Whitaker says those are lies spread by my competitors. He's basically a, a flimflam man who's uh, riding his luck, isn't he, really? Yeah, like an arms dealer who's yeah. built up this character around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wants to be a, a, I don't know, a commander of an army, but failed. Yeah, he wants to be General Patton, doesn't he? But, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He, he wants to be General Patton, but he's more like a knitting pattern. Pushkin says, give back the money in two days or you'll find yourself out of business, personally. And Gorgi Koskov as well. He says, I don't know what you two are scheming, but it's over. Is that understood? Mm-hmm. So now we cut to Bond and Kara jumping out the back of her truck, which they caught a lift off. They are in Vienna and they get a horse and carriage ride to the hotel. I always wonder about this. That they get all this stuff, but do they have money? I presume Bond's got a credit card, hasn't he? He's got the would, Universal Xbox so. credit card, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. I wish I had a Universal Xbox credit card. Don't we all? Uh, what, would you, what would you buy with your Universal Xbox credit card? Amazon. But the whole company. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in it. <laughs> Just have the lot. I'll take okay. one. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Just know. It's a beautiful looking place, though, this, isn't it? Would you like to visit Vienna? Yes. I think that's the first time I've ever heard you actually show interest in a place outside of your own house. Just because I don't say it doesn't mean I don't think it, Colin. Oh, but you've never said it. That's I can only go off what you say. I can't go off what you think without some kind of mind-reading device. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point, yes. No, I, 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 I like this. It's nice. Do you like the history of it? Yes. Would you like to visit Bruges? Yes. I thought you'd like that place. Yes, why? Because it's, um, it's got that historic nature about it that you'd like. Yes, I like all that kind of thing, yeah. Kara tells Bond about her relationship with Koskov 
and she reveals that her cello is a Stradivarius. The Lady Rose, in fact. Mm. Mm. She asks if they will go to Koskoff now. Bond says yes, unless he had to move on. But he's sure if that's the case, he would have left a message. Now, Bond is lying to her all the time at this point. He's just stringing her along. Yes. So they arrive at the hotel. The hotel receptionist asks if Bond wants his usual room. And he says, no, no bonking tonight. No, he asked for two adjoining rooms and two tickets for the opera. Now, this is a Bond trope that he's known at every hotel that he goes to. Yes, I, I did make a note that it's always funny when everyone just knows Bond on site. Yeah, because they 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 really play with it in uh, Die Another Day. Oh, yeah, because he's, he's been missing for, what is it, a year, two years or whatever? Yeah, and he turns up like all like scraggled and bearded and the, the concierge is just like, ah, Mr. Bond, Yes. would you like your usual room? <laughs> Which, yeah. if you're not a Bond fan, it's just like, that's weird. But if you're a Bond fan, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of funny. And, and I've gotten, um, from non-Bond fans, I, I've had that conversation. Oh, it's stupid. He's supposed to be a secret agent, but yet everyone knows what, who he is. It's a gag. Yeah, it's a gag. I mean, he uses the same name. They they even played up in Casino Royale where he, they give him a fake name, but he just uses James Bond, and he's like, yeah, they know where I am anyway. So, uh, it's interesting yeah. in the No Time to Die trailer, they seem to play on that by the fact that people don't know who he is anymore. I think that's going to be because he's retired and he's left the service and this yeah. guy doesn't know who he is. And yeah. Bond thinks he's this great spy and yeah. everyone knows he remembers him and everyone's yeah. like, no, as soon as you retired, you've forgotten. I quite like that. Oddly, they do the same thing in, in one of the episodes of Picard that's been on recently. They do, yeah. Mm. Maybe it's a message that you're not important as you think you are. All right, I'll get personal. It wasn't just about you. <laughs> you said it in a very pointed way, Colin. I did, yeah, I did. And, uh, and, I, and I didn't mean that, John, that people forget your name. <laughs> oh, uh, Paul. <sighs> sorry, sorry. That's all right. No one knows. Right. I was thinking of my other podcast host. <laughs> oh, John's great. Doesn't <laughs> sniff or anything. Marvelous guy. We cut to a swimming pool. Koskoff is sunning himself and is surrounded by women. Oh, he's gut-wrenchingly disgusting, isn't he? Because he's sunning himself or the he fact he's surrounded slimy. by women? He just looks slimy and horrible and the way he kisses one of them and then goes... <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in Tangier, right? Yes. A soldier approaches and tells him that the chief wants him. But, you know, this soldier's like... It's a soldier you kind of find at Madame Tussauds or something. It's, you know, it's a fake He's soldier. Cosplaying. Cosplaying as a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, perfect, yes. Mm -hmm. Kaskov gets up and goes over to the pool. Nekaras, his supposed kidnapper, is there. We have to report, Kaskov tells him. So they both go to Whittaker. Whittaker tells him that Pushkin wants the money back. Kuskov says not to worry, he's convinced the British that Pushkin is a traitor. They will send Bond to eliminate him. Whitaker is not convinced. He suggests that Necros does it. But Kuskov says Pushkin is history. The original plan will work. Whitaker points out that Bond hasn't touched Pushkin. Kuskov says that the British are cautious, but 
an additional inducement will ensure Pushkin's death if another agent is eliminated. I have to say one thing about this Bond film. The plot is kind of complicated. You know, a lot of people say that it takes them a few watches to get what's going on in this movie. Yeah, don't don't you think? Are you okay? I, I have to say that when, I think when I saw it back when it came out back in the 80s as a kid, I probably didn't understand what was going on at all. That's true, but you get confused with carry-on films, so... <laughs> well, there is that, yeah, but... <laughs> In all fairness, it was a complicated carry-on movie. Jokes about breasts and stuff. Very complicated for your part <laughs> at that time. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is a complicated plot, right? It's definitely a complicated, complicated plot. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. At the opera, Bond the Carrier enjoying the performance from across the house. Saunders watches him. Bond glances at him. The performance ends. The Carrier excuses herself. Saunders goes to Bond. Saunders wants to know why Bond has brought the KGB sniper with him. Bond explains that she's no sniper. She's Koskoff's girlfriend and she was supposed to shoot blanks at him to make the defection look real. Saunders says, but the KGB took him back. That's what we're supposed to think, replies Bond. Saunders points out that these are serious accusations and what is Bond up to? Bond says he's pretending to be Koskoff's friend to see where she'll lead him. Bond tells Saunders about Koskoff buying Kara Stradivarius. Where would Koskoff get that kind of money? He asked Saunders to check it out. And that he'll need papers to get her out of the country tomorrow. He asked Saunders some photo booth pictures he says he took in the afternoon, which we did not see happen. No. How would you do that? We'd be like, oh, look, photo booth. Hey, look, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go take some photos in the photo booth. Because lovers do, although she's got a lover. Hmm. But let's ignore that. And then, well, and then he says, and then he says, as he gets to the photo booth, he goes, oh, "You know what? You are so beautiful. You should just take them on your own and don't smile. Look, look like it's a, I don't know, look like it's a passport photo. You know, that, that's my thing. That is what I, a Jimmy Bond off to. Yes, boredom and indifference. Yes. Like, that's what he likes these women." Yes. Although in fairness, I suppose he could have said, hey, we need some fake passports, just take some pictures. You know, he probably did say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Mm. Yeah. I did I did so, like um, Saunders' look as he looks so so bored as he's watching the opera. Kind of reminded me, it was a bit like you when I made you sit and watch Infinity War. <laughs> I, I tried my best, Paul. I tried my best. I only picked up my phone 150 times. <laughs> Well, in all fairness, they didn't have mobile phones in back in 1986, 87, did they? So Saunders couldn't do that, you know. But. You know, the thing about Saunders is he could easily be a very annoying character. But if you actually view things from Saunders' mm-hmm. way of looking at the world, he's not wrong. No, all he's doing is just playing things by the book, isn't he? And he's he's working with this guy, Bond, who's... Completely the opposite, making yeah, it up all, long. Absolutely. First of all, and and you're going off reputation, and what's mm-hmm. Bond's reputation? Women. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, well, I, I kind of want to protect myself here because you know, you get away with it. Not sure I can. Not everyone in life is allowed to go off peace, don't they? Yeah. I mean, you're completely unpeaced right now. <laughs> 
Sons protests that he won't get the okay in time. Bond cuts him off. That girl is our only chance at getting Koskoff back. Now Saunders agrees, which I think is pretty good that he doesn't carry on protesting. He's finally like, okay, I see mm. no other way around this. Let's do this then. There's 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 kind of a a begrudging respect that's starting to 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 appear, isn't there? Yeah, and I think they play it right because in a lot of other films they could have got this badly wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He tells Bond to meet him at the Prater Cafe in the first wheel at midnight. Saunders leaves as Kara returns. Now later at the fairground, Bond and Kara ride the various attractions and sideshows. She asks him to go on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Saunders sees him on the Ferris wheel and he makes his way to the cafe. Although I think he goes like, oh, for God's sake. He does. Kind of face, yeah, which I like. Mm-hmm. We hear the music that was playing on the Joggers Walkman. Remember that? Yeah, it's the only song he's got. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. The wheel stops. Bond says he arranged it. Yep, he's, uh, he might be a modern Bond, but he's not above nobbing his mark, is he? Even though his Merc has a lover. Yes. It's all semantic. Now, I personally don't feel the scene needs to be in this film. I, I can see what you mean. It, it does kind of stick out a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what she said to Bond. <laughs> Is that a Walter, P- Walter PPK in your pocket? Are you just pleased to see me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, fully loaded and cocked. Yeah. <laughs> We're back to Roger again, aren't we? Oh, yes, we are, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of Rogering. So do they do the business in this this Ferris wheel thing, or do they just have a bit of a smooch? I I assume they just smooch. Right, okay. Let's leave it at smooching. Okay, all right. The wheel finally brings him down. While Kara's looking at postcards, Bond says he'll be back in a minute and heads to the cafe to meet Sanders. We see Necros extend the antenna on a strange device. Ooh. What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> My reaction was strange device. Yeah, but it sounded more like... I don't know <laughs> what on. it sounded like. It was weird. <laughs> it, right. it, was too, it was too guttural to be a... <laughs> it, it was just a natural... Natural, um... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sanders tells Bond about the violin, you know, the cost and how the hell did uh, Koskoff afford it. And we see Necros activate a device connected to the door of the cafe. Mm-hmm. Not sure when he connected this. I guess <laughs> when the cafe was closed and nobody was around. Yeah. We'll go with that, yeah. All right, So Saunders tells Bond that the Lady Rose Cello was brought by, uh, actually bought by Brad Whitaker, which means that Koskoff um, would have had to have given it to Kara through Whitaker, really. That came out. He would have, yeah, he would have got the money. Well, not Whitaker, but they would have got the money from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it proves that Whitaker and Koskoff know each other somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Saunders tells Bond that Whitaker is in Tangiers. And he gives him his passports that he needs to get there. Right. They shake hands and Saunders uh, wishes Bond good luck. 
so there, there's that respect again that they that they've managed to claw out from their relationship. Yeah, or maybe it's that Santos is just happy that Bond is doing a job that he doesn't want to do, and that he's buggering off. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're going to get killed. Good luck. <laughs> Saunders uh, goes to leave, but Necros sets off the bomb that he's planted earlier. Now, I was always a bit confused by this. Is it the bomb, the bomb that kills him, or is it the, the glass doors slamming into him and chopping him in half? Is it the bond that kills him? The bond. Um, I've, I've, I always... I always thought it was the doors close at like a hundred times the normal speed or something, and basically sort of cut slice him, slice him. Yeah, that's why because yeah. they they don't show you his body apart from his feet poking out. Right. Yeah. Which gives the impression that it's quite nasty. Yeah, I think being sliced by a sliding door is quite nasty. I would imagine so. I would imagine it's a it's a pleasant experience in many respects. Yeah. No, I mean it's bad yeah, yeah. to trap your finger in a door, isn't it? That's right. Mm. Imagine if the film Sliding Doors was about this. <laughs> Which is bodies. Yeah, <laughs> slides. Yeah, it's like, oh, I thought this was a romantic comedy. Some could argue better movie. Some could, not me, Paul. Not me. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry. So Bond finds a balloon with the words Smeat Spinonum written on it. Enraged, and he is enraged, you can tell. He'd, Dalton does angry very well. Doesn't do comedy, but does angry exceedingly well. It's a burning anger as well, isn't it? Is oh, that... yeah, yeah, yeah. Burning flame. Um, he bursts the balloon in his fingers and his mm. hawk-like eyes see what he thinks is the balloon seller walking away behind a hedge. How many takes it took just to burst the balloon? He's like, bloody balloon! <laughs> There's a guy underneath it with a pin leaning in. Yeah, and yeah, just that. Pop. <laughs> Cost of 50000 just to CGI that guy out. Although it's just pre-CGI, so... He's just literally under the camera. Yeah, yeah. He's, no, he's wearing a big green suit. <laughs> oh, colour... What's it called? Chrome... Colour key. Chroma key. Chroma key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, like, doing that and he's got a green pin. <laughs> Good old Doctor Who staple from the 70s. Well, a Doctor Who staple, that'd burst the balloon. <laughs> Only a classic one, obviously. Of course, yeah, not a modern one. A modern one would have the edges filed down, wouldn't it? So it was in yeah, a yeah. Have a speech about it. Yes, or two. So Bond leaps over the hedge, gun drawn, and he scares the shit out of a mother and son. Yep, and then he's reported to the authorities. Yep. Taken away, end of Bond. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a funny turn of events, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. So Kara appears, asking what's wrong. Bond, who is visibly shaken here, and he is, he's still calming himself down, pulls himself together. Bad accident back there, he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he doesn't want her to know. No. So Kara asks if he's heard from Koskoff, and Bond says, yes, I got the message. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is played very well. Thank you. It is. Oh, I thought you meant me. Oh, none. Yes, it is played very well. Yes. Still, the way that he turns to the camera so that he's avoiding her gaze as well when he says it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bond tells Kara that Koskoff is with Whitaker in Tangiers, and he's not surprised to find out that she's heard of Whitaker. 
She wants to stay in Austria for, you know, a few days of uh, How's Your Father. Which is weird because Koskoff is her lover. She's desperate to find him. But meanwhile... What, st- what happens in Austria stays in Austria. Oh, is that the phrase? The same phrase that Hitler used. <laughs> but Bond, he's had enough of this. Mm-hmm. He says that they leave immediately. Right. He says first thing in the morning, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, at dawn. Roger Moore, he still would have found time for a bit of rumpy-pumpy. Yeah, Roger Moore would have gone, well, well, not immediately, maybe about 10.30. You yeah. Know, when I've had a bit of bonky-bonky and a coffee and a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And another bit of bonky-bonky after that. Yeah, and then I brill, brill creams my hair and, you know, <laughs> splashed on a bit of Old Spice. So we cut to Tangiers and Bond mm-hmm. is trailing Pushkin around the place. Yep. Uh, he's now wearing his nice cream-coloured English man on holiday suit as well. Perfect for the situation. Kind of miss the safari suits though, don't you? No, but you do, because that's what you like to wear. All big collars. Can't go wrong. So he watches Pushkin go to his hotel where he meets his mistress. Pushkin's mistress, not Bond's. Pushkin's mistress, yes. And he yeah. uses some very clunky-looking um, binocular specs, doesn't he? They look a bit, I don't know, they look a bit cheap. Probably high-tech at the time. Probably. Or they just made them up. Mm. Which is more likely, I think. Yes. Bond, Bond movies do that a lot, though, don't they? They make tech up and then it becomes a thing, real, uh, like, down the line. Yeah, but I think they do research and ask people what what are people working on mm. and looking at and thinking about the future, like Star Trek does. Yeah, yeah. Oh, used to. so later in the evening Pushkin um, goes to see his mistress in the hotel room only to find Bond waiting for him a silenced Walther aimed at his head Mm. Bond pushes Pushkin down onto the bed and he questions him about Spionum but Pushkin um, denies knowing anything about it at all this reminds me of uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and films of that nature where he's in the room and he's waiting for somebody to turn up. Yes, because I think it's easy to forget at times that, that Bond is he's an assassin when he has to be. He is a cold-blooded killer. Licensed to kill. Exactly, but we, we, we don't get that. Certainly we don't get that in the Roger Moore era. No, 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 no. Then he's licensed to chill. I think he's, didn't you call he's a lover, not a fighter, is what you said. Yeah, that's what I said, yeah. So when Bond brings up, I mean, he doesn't bring them up. He's a bleh. Yeah, when he brings up Koskov and Whitaker, Pushkin alerts his guard with his little gadget on his watch. The guard who's sitting outside the door. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, he does. But Bond distracts him by <clears throat> ripping off the mistress's shirt. Uh, and the guard's so distracted by the sight of boobies that um, Bond knocks him out. It's almost like he went to the bodyguard school of Paul. <laughs> what are you saying? That I, like, I distracted. Like, well, what are you doing, mate? He's like, you, you, you got the guy, right? But but, but if, there's, if there's boobies, then they take priority over whoever you're guarding, okay? Uh, that's well, he- the Paul school of bodyguarding, right? It's good advice, but I'm wondering where that bodyguard's from with that accent. What, what, what was all the, that about? 
Well, the bodyguard has traveled Don't around you? the world because obviously he's a mercenary, so he served in different armies, whoever would pay him. So his accent has changed from wherever he lived. Very good. Yeah. Go for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so bodyguard's pushing to uh, get down on his knees and put his hands behind his back. He's going to mm-hmm. kill him. Is he, though? I think at that moment he is going to kill him. Is he? Because don't forget that Bond knows Pushkin. Yeah, but like he's, he's, he knows everything about Pushkin, so he's not quite sure that Pushkin is what the files are, what Koskov says, because it goes against everything he knows about Pushkin. But I think that if Pushkin didn't didn't tell Bond what he needed to hear to not kill him, he would have killed him, if you know what I mean. If Pushkin didn't say the right things, he would have gone through with it. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Daughters at the end of the day. But but the fact that he gave him the chance to say it means that he thinks that maybe Pushkin is telling yeah. the truth. Otherwise, he would have just walked in, shot, shot Pushkin, and then left, and then had a burger. Yes, had a burger. It what in Tangiers? They do burgers. Really, burgers everywhere, Paul. That is true. That, yeah, that is very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I could have uh, world cuisine there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bond loves a burger. Does he? It's in all the Ian Fleming box. <laughs> ah, right. I must have missed that bit. So Pushkin tells Bond that he uh, he doesn't kill without reason. He's a professional. Right. Bond asks for a reason why he shouldn't carry out his orders. Do you trust Koskov or me? Asked Push. Asked Pushkin. Bond points out that either way, as long as Pushkin's alive, they'll never know what he's up to. Then I must die, says Pushkin. Yeah. I really like this scene though. But Bond, he's ruthless and cold. It's, it's. I said it before. It's, it's a Bond we've never seen for a long. We haven't seen it for a long time. So then we cut to later, and Pushkin is giving his speech at the uh, conference. And Necros is uh, up in the wings, and he's about to assassinate him when Bond does it for him and guns him down. Mm. Bond mm. runs, and he's chased across the rooftops at one point, landing in a harem. We've not seen that for a while. Yeah. Also, that feels a bit outdated. It does. Is a, is a harem to 1989? Yeah, it feels like something from the 70s, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, the 1770s. <laughs> <laughs> and he also uses an aerial pole to take out a guard. Again, that feels, that feels like Roger Mori as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Back at the conference, Pushkin's body is uh, wheeled into a room, but it was a fake. Pushkin was wearing a blood-packed bulletproof vest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why well, was that so hard to say? Yes. You gotta say though, it still took some bottle to trust Bond wouldn't miss him. Yeah, he's like, Poof. oh, blew his head <laughs> off. Oops, <laughs> that went wrong. Sneezes at the wrong moment. Yeah, he knew. So Bond gets away when two sexy American ladies pull alongside him and ask if he wants to party. Don't mind if I do, says Bond, and he hops in. And the music here turns into something from Carry On Girls sort of heavy sax isn't it you know you can imagine the girls walking down the catwalk and carry on girls to this. can, can I ask you a question when you when you have to describe the music why do your shoulders shimmer I was getting slinky you know it's, oh is that what it was sexy sax 
Sexy sax? Sexy sax. Sax of what? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so unfortunately. More ways than one. Unfortunately, the ladies pull a gun on Bond and they take him to a yacht moored at the docks. Mm. Here, Bond finds his old friend, Felix Leiter, although he's not that old. He's looking considerably younger and more useful than he does in Licence to Kill. Why didn't they use the Felix Leiter that... Uh, I don't understand. Mm. I guess they just didn't think of it. I my, Okay, so the logic behind it, I guess, is they thought new Bond, a new Money Penny, new mm. Felix Leiter, and then when Licence to Kill rolled around, they went, oh, why don't we use the old Felix Leiter? Yeah, it, it makes more sense to carry on using the same guy that they use here, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, why change? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, except the fact that the Felix Leiter in Live and Die Lights is pretty, like, nondescript. You don't remember him. Yes, I think the actor's name's John Terry. He's he's more famous for uh, playing Hawk in Hawk the Slayer. Okay, I've forgotten him already. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I don't understand the, the decisions that the Bond people make. Yes, it is all very strange at times. Like the decision to to carry Judy Dench over, but no one else. So they carried Judy Dench over from Brosnan to Daniel Craig, but they didn't keep the same Money Penny. Right. They you know they they modernised Money Penny. So Bond tells Felix that Pushkin's assassination was faked. Felix tells Bond that they've been watching Whitaker for a while now, but he's made no no moves. He's not exchanged any monies with anyone. Let's talk shop, says Bond. Mm. I like that. I like that. You do kind of feel like these two um, have worked together before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back at Whitaker's, Necros tells Koskoff and Whitaker that Bond has killed Pushkin. Koskoff is overjoyed, thinking that the British have fell for his story. Right. Yeah. But suddenly the phone rings and his face goes white as a sheet. Did you like does that? Does it? He does. You can... <gasps> do, do, do I like that cliche that he is? Yeah, great. I love a cliche. I love a cliche as much as the next guy. <laughs> Very good. So it's Kara on the other end of the phone, who he believed died at Bond's hands. Yeah, so Koskos thinks that she's dead, which is why he's suddenly shocked when he hears her voice on the phone. Oh, my God. I never actually realised that. Get in there. Yes, the first one in 63 episodes. (laughs) And it's a Bond one as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm ashamed. Oh, I feel so bad. (laughs) So later, Kara is uh, fiddling furiously. Wait, what? Uh, So Bond enters. So uh, she pretends to be worried at first, but insists on making him a vodka martini. He takes his drink and he asks her what's the matter. As I say, she pulls away, and Bond tells her that it's time for total truth, that he's a British agent, about how Koskoff used her, and that Koskoff isn't exactly who he says he is. She calls him a liar and tells him that she's spoken to Koskoff, and he gave her the truth, that Bond is a KGB agent using her to find him. Suddenly, Mm. Bond feels dizzy and realises that Kara has drugged him. Now, you'd think Bond would learn... Not to take drinks that he hasn't prepared. 
But then I suppose in all fairness, he trusts her at this point, doesn't he? Oh, I suppose so, but... Mm. And he's got... A, he's all, <sighs> Bond's always got a soft spot for the ladies, hasn't he? That, that's oh. his Achilles heel a little bit, isn't it? He grabs her and tears her sleeve and says that he knows how her arm was wounded when the gun was shot from her hand because he mm-hmm. was the man sent to kill her. But he didn't. She's fucked up. Yeah, yeah, she made a huge mistake. Yeah. But in fairness, she can only go off what she knows and Bond wasn't truthful to her in the first place. This is true. He's he's kind of made his own bed a little bit, hasn't he? Yep, yep. Bond collapses as Koskoff and Necros enter, dressed as doctors. Koskoff mm-hmm. kisses Kara and says, well done. Now, posing as doctors and with Bond as their unconscious patient needing a heart transplant, they board a plane. They do, yes. Mm-hmm. Like the A-team. Like the A-team. <laughs> <laughs> Good episode. What episode was that? Go on. Oh, God. No, I don't. Hold on. Secret uh... episode. The A-team. In the air, Bond is still pretending to be unconscious, but when Necros goes for a piss, mm-hmm. what he's doing, oh. he tries to open the case containing the heart, but he can't quite reach it. Now, Look- it's, a, it's a good job. You're not Necros, because Bond would have a chance to look at the diamonds every 10 seconds, right? <laughs> it's like, where's Necros going? <sighs> He's going to the bathroom again. Are you- oh, hey, Necros. Oh, you're not sitting down? Why not? Oh, because, oh, bye. Bye, Necros. <laughs> are, are you casting aspersions on my bladder again? Nope. Not at all. Won't do that. Leave my bladder alone. Ah, great song. <laughs> Isn't that the basis of a of a, a, a free concert back in the eighties? Leave my bladder alone was a charity organisation mm-hmm. created for bladder research. Bladder research didn't work. <laughs> no, they took the money but just pissed it away. Luckily, Cara comes to her senses and she helps him open the case now in the case is a heart surrounded by ice but mixed Mm. into the ice are diamonds necros having done his business oh oh yeah 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 comes back in and they close the case quickly bond pretending to solved it yeah oh yeah that's okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) well bond's still pretending to be groggy at this point yeah drunk so later, Costco. <gasps> You'd be a really good spy. I be, I've, I've said this for years. I'd be a perfect Bond. Yeah, just drunk all the time, lusting after women twice your age. Well, different from Bond, obviously, because he lusts after women half his age. But yeah, <laughs> you've got to be age appropriate in this day and age, haven't you? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you'd be great. I know. Except for the shooting shit, that you'd be bad at that. Bond, James Bond. See? Rolls off the mm. tongue, doesn't it? Like an avalanche. <laughs> so later, Koskoff and Bond uh, have a bit of a chat on the plane. Koskoff tells Bond that he's uh, going to turn him over to the Russians for the murder of Pushkin, after which he'll be welcomed back with open arms. Mm. For you, I have great affection, says Koskoff. But we have an old saying, duty has no sweethearts. We have an old saying too, replies Bond. And you're full of it. It's a good line. It is, yeah. 
So they land at a Russian airbase in Afghanistan, where Koskov not only hands Bond over to his old comrade, Colonel Theodore. Theodore? That's his name, isn't it? The guy with the moustache. We'll go with that. Okay. But also, Kara, who he says is a defector. Yeah. Now, he gets a slap for his trouble there, doesn't he? He does. She gives him a great whack. Luckily, unbeknownst to everyone else, Kara has managed to nab Bond's keyring. Mm. That's not a euphemism. Oh, it's not? Okay. No. So as they take Bond and Kara away, Koskoff asks Theodore for a detachment of men and some trucks. So Bond and Kara are taken to the cells where they meet the jailer, who seems to come from Merseyside. He does, yeah. Yes. He do- well, he has a Russian accent. It's more Russia via sort of Liverpool. Let's just say, if you were selling me Tetley tea bags, I wouldn't be surprised. Exactly, yes. Yeah. I think this actor was actually in Bread as well. Remember Bread? Oh, yeah. Carol Lane? Yes, I think he was in that. Okay. Uh, in one of the cells, they see another prisoner, an Afghanistanian. Mm, played by the great Afghanistani actor. Art <laughs> Malik, yes. Yes, okay. The Afghanistanian prisoner asks the jailer about his appeal. Good news, says the scouser. Oh, we're doing accents. Wait, good, well done. Good news in a Russian type accent, says the scouser. Oh, this is interesting. This is good. going all over the world. Good news. Go sorry. Yeah, yeah, go on. Go do it again. No, no, yeah, go do it, do it again. Good news. You. <laughs> You won't be hung in the morning. You will be shot. That's not bad, Paul. Well done. Mm. Next, our uh, Liverpoolian Joker orders Kara to um, to strip. Oh yes, it's that good old eighties staple rape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I'm beginning to get a little little tired of the use of this in in eighties films and TV shows. How many have we covered now? Where it's, uh... I, I don't know. I never realised how much of it there was. When in doubt, rape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a motto <laughs> that you... <laughs> it's bad no, though, isn't it? it, it yeah, it, it's, the, it's, fu- it's funny doing this podcast how many times we've seen this and we're starting to think like, oh. There's something not quite right. There's something yeah. rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Luckily, Bond finds that they are easily distracted by his whistling keering. Well, you would be a Russian. It's probably new. Yes. I mean, if it was a whistling potato, I mean, they see those two a penny, don't they? Ah, Russians big on potatoes. Apparently, they love potatoes. I mean, they don't love potatoes. I mean, that would be weird, but they love potatoes. They like, Do they? They love to eat potatoes, don't they? You know, big lines of cues, queuing for a potato. Are you confusing stereotypical <coughs> cliched Russians with stereotypical cliched Irish people? No, they do like a potato. I'm sure they do. Okay. Oh, because vodka's made from potatoes? Yes, there you go. We'll take All that. All right. Oh. Okay. Suddenly the gas... Hang on. The gas. Has Bond had a really rich meal before he decided to do this? No, um, Bond whistles and sets the poisonous gas off from the keyring, which disorientates the Russians. And we get a decent fight, with Bond almost being impaled on a spike. Do you think he um, 
Dalton had Flash Gordon flashbacks here. Oh, never thought that. Yes, maybe. Very similar to a, a moment in the Flash Gordon fight. Yeah, so she's like, oh, budget is slightly more. <laughs> but with the help of the other prisoner, Bond wins the fight. Mm-hmm. He tosses the keys to the prisoner before he and Kara escape wearing Russian uniforms. The moment when Kara says um, that they're finally free and Bond points out that they're in a Russian airbase in Afghanistan, that's a nice moment. Especially, it is, yeah. Especially the look that he gives her as she's trying to unlock his cuffs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good scene. I like that bit. Mm-hmm. So outside, it's night now for some reason. Even though they, they, it was broad daylight when they got taken into that place and they, they were in there, what, for five minutes? Sunset falls quickly in the Middle East. We'll go with that. And Bond and Kara sneak around. Uh, the, the way that he drags her around the corners reminds me of the final act of uh, A View to a Kill. Okay, yeah. Roger's dragging um, whatever her character's name is around. Bond watches Koskoff load the diamonds onto a truck before he and Kara jump over the fence. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Afghan soldiers emerge from under the sand, holding knives at their throats. At Bond's throat, not their own throats. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? If you don't move, we'll slit our own throats. Um, okay. <laughs> Luckily, the prisoner that they helped um, escape also jumps down and orders the men not to kill them. And they all run off together. Well, they did. <laughs> they run off together, skipping hand in hand. <laughs> How long were these uh, Afghan soldiers hiding under that sand? A long time. Them? Some of them don't get up. <laughs> they were just lucky that someone jumped over that wall, really. Yes, yeah. So cut to daybreak and Bond and Kara are on horseback riding the r- riding with the new friends. The music's really good here, I think. John Barry's really on form in this film. Yeah. It's almost like a sweeping sort of Lawrence of Arabia type um, soundtrack, isn't it? I, I imagine that's what he was trying to capture. Yeah. yeah. They pass a small town where women are looting dead Russian soldiers. Bond mansplains to Kara that they are captives now of the Mujahideen. The Afghan resistance. In fairness, though, she is a celloist from Vienna, so probably yeah. doesn't know about yes this kind of thing. Yes. Now this is and any more than you and I would if bonded, whisked us away. Oh, All right. riding a horse, we'd be like, I don't know what's going on, Mister Bond, and they'd be like, Well, these guys, <laughs> and you'd be like, Oh, didn't know. Where's me pie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where, in hindsight, the politics become a bit troublesome in this movie, don't they? Oh, go on. Explain away. Shall I mansplain it to you? Yes, please. These are good guys, in brackets. Yes, yeah, right? yep, yep. Unfortunately, the Mujahideen is what turned into Bin Laden's mob. Did some bad yeah. things. Yeah, but weren't they on the American side at that point? Well, they were the good guys against the Russians for a while, yeah. That's right, and they were supplied with American weapons? Yes. Ah, it's all very complicated, isn't it? So let's veer away before we turn into a political podcast, because we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, probably should. So they get taken to a a hilltop fortress, and I've got to say, this is beautifully shot, all this, isn't it? Mm. 
Inside, they are given a... Well, you did it to me earlier. Inside, they are given a room. They look out the window, and outside they see an angry Afghan beating his men. Yeah, room of a view. I hope he's not invited to dinner, quips Bond. They're taken to meet the prisoner who they who helped them, uh, who's now cleaned himself up, and he introduces himself as the Mujahideen commander Cameron Shah. He's very posh and British, isn't he? Well, it's because he was educated at Oxford. Yes. It's funny, but it's kind of also a cliche a bit, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's also true that we create the enemies of tomorrow. Good name for a Bond movie. The enemies of tomorrow. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Cameraman. Cameraman. <laughs> the cameraman zooms out. <laughs> Do that again. Yeah, I would. Cameron gives Kara a change of clothes and he uh, he sends her off to get changed while he and Bond have a bit of a talk. Bond explains that he's uncovered a plot to sell Russians high-tech weapons. And he asks Cameron to help him go back to the airbase. But Cameron refuses. He can't spur anyone. Nope. Nobody. Cameron tells Bond that he will um, accompany them on a mission tomorrow, and then they'll see what they can do for him. Yeah. Bond goes back to Kara, who has changed into the dress, and um, Bond tells her that she's beautiful in Afghan. Yeah, he doesn't like her in Western clothes, but Afghan... <laughs> it's his thing. It's just, yeah, he likes, he likes Afghan clothes. Kara then gets angry when Bond insists that he has to carry on with his mission. And they have a bit of a fight and a bit of a tussle before ending up canoodling. Well, well, first she throws a, a cushion <laughs> at him. And it's a good job he's not allergic to cushions because <laughs> there's no joking about cushions disease. Are you happy? Yeah. Uh, Proud of yourself? Not really, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> This is another scene that Dalton's really good in, though, isn't it? The, aggressive the... sexual scenes? <laughs> no, he's not aggressive <laughs> at all. I think he's quite tender, actually. Oh, he's a tender lover. <laughs> tender lover, <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so it's the next morning, and Bond and Kara are now in local dress, accompanying the Mujahideen on their mission. Mm-hmm. They meet up with the Snow Leopard Brotherhood, who are, mm-hmm. I guess are a rival Mujahideen Yes, Gang. sounds like it, yes. And they have camels loaded with bags of opium marked with red crosses. Yes. This is red cross packages. The Russians arrive to make a deal. Bond accuses Cameron of selling dope, but Cameron says that he doesn't care if the Russians die from bombs or opium. Mm-hmm. But Bond and Cameron come up with a plan to put a spanner in the works for the Russians. Cameron says yes to the plastic explosions, but as long as nothing is done until the deal is completed, the Russians and the Afghans. Bond picks up one of the bags and he takes it to a truck. Um, he's almost discovered by Necros, who stops him to taste the opium. There's a lot of tasting of opium going on in films. You ever notice that? Yeah, I mean, they do it in lots of stuff, like TV series and Miami Vice, where they're always tasting the cocaine. You're like, how do you know? I guess if it doesn't taste like talcum powder, it's cocaine. Is that the rule? Yeah, I guess so. Luckily, Bond um, has his face covered, and Necros is stood on the opposite side of the bag so that he doesn't actually see him. Yeah. Bond then climbs into the truck, but ends up being stuck at the back as they close it up and drive away. Mm-hmm. Kara loses her mind. Right, just like goes crazy. Goes crazy. She mm-hmm. tells Cameron that they have to help him. 
Cameron reluctantly refuses, but Kara steals his gun and rides off. Now, this is where Cameron rolls his eyes, looks at his men and says, women. But then he takes his men and he rides off after her to help her. Yeah. In the truck, Bond places the explosives into one of the opium bags. They reach the airbase and they begin loading the bags onto a carrier plane. Kara, meanwhile, distracts a guard and Cameron takes him out. I don't mean he takes him out. Is this the first time we see Kara doing some action? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Bond climbs from the truck and takes the bomb onto the plane, timing mm-hmm. it ten and a half minutes. But as Bond is leaving, Koskoff and Necros recognize him. He takes out a guard and holds everyone back with the guard's machine gun. Koskoff orders his men not to shoot back in case they damage the plane. Yeah, I mean, that should have been an order that was given quite earlier in the action sequence. Yes, because they fire a few shots, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite a lot. Suddenly, all hell breaks loose as Cameron and his men attack. Uh, It's a good action sequence. It's got some very um, odd moments in it, hasn't it? Including... A moment where Cameron drives a digger into a shower cubicle and naked men come running out. Yeah, but I like that it's naked men. I yes, mean, it... wait, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I know exactly what you meant, Colin. Don't you worry. Okay. Yes. I mean, it would have been so easy to do naked women in a Bond film. And I think 10 years earlier it would have been. Don't yeah, you? I think so, yeah. Even though there was probably no, at that point, women in the Russian army. But it wouldn't have stopped Oh, yeah, them. that's true. That wouldn't have stopped them. <laughs> and it cuts to the guy drinking his uh, martini during the double take. Beautiful. <laughs> Wine, yeah. And the yeah. pigeon. Get it all in there. If in No Time to Die there is no pigeon or a drunk guy doing a double take, I'll be disappointed. I think you're going to be disappointed. I'll be outraged. I'll be on Twitter and mm-hmm. other social media. We can look forward I to mean, that. I mean, I'll have to join first and then do People them. But, you have know. to follow you as well. Yeah, and all that stuff. But mm. So Bond starts the, the engine of the plane and he sets off down the runway. Koskoff tries to board but falls off. Worst Bond villain ever. Koskoff's friend Theodore jumps into a truck and gets blown up for his trouble. Yeah. But see, Paul, being friends, that's what it gets you. Noted. Kara gets really annoying here, yelling, James, every five seconds. Yeah, they kind of ruin her character at this point. I mean, he's in a plane in the middle of a war zone. He's not going to hear her. No, and she does worse later. I'll tell you when. All right, okay. So, losing her horse, Kara jumps into a jeep and sets off after Bond. She takes out a few people herself here as well. Yeah, yeah, good. She's them and whacks them in the face and... Yeah, yeah. Whacks them? Wax them. Oh, yeah. hits them. Not like puts wax and no, no. In body or eel. Odd. In uh, the middle of a war zone, just going to wax strange. you. Strange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, my hair's gone. <laughs> Maybe that's what those guys in that uh, shower cubicle were doing. Oh, they were waxing off. They were waxing off, and... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Koskoff and Necros give chase in another Jeep. As Bond lowers the doors of the plane, he lowers his back doors. So after a few failed attempts, he finally manages to uh, indicate to Kara that she, she's to drive inside the plane. Right, yeah. Um, which she does. Um, Bond sees another plane coming at him. It's landing right in his path. But Bond manages to pull up just seconds before it hits. Unfortunately, 
The same can't be said for Koskoff as the plane hits his Jeep and explodes. This is where we get a bit of an A-team moment, isn't it? Because Koskoff somehow survives. He's a bit smoky and, and, and char-grilled and he's coughing on the ground, but he's, he's alive. Again, I would rather he was dead. So would I, yeah. Necros, however, has managed to jump into, uh, into the plane just in time. Do we actually see him jump into the plane? I don't think we do, do we? No, we don't. No. So on the plane, Bond goes into the hole to defuse the bomb, when suddenly Necros attacks from behind. The worst kind of attack. And they fight. It's a really good sequence, right, there? This whole fight? Yes. I mean, they're fighting in the plane until Kara... Okay, she she sees a, a lever that says down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she pulls it. Yeah. Thinking that it might land the plane, I'm guessing. Okay. But what it actually does is open the back doors of the plane. Yep. Okay. So then um, Bond, Necros, mm-hmm. attached to the huge net with all the um, opium in, fall out the back of the plane. And the fight carries on as they're hanging on. And you've got to mm-hmm. say that the stuntmen here really earn the money, don't they? I think one of them was hurt during this. Scene. Really? Yes, really? I believe so. Because uh, the wind knocked the nets up and he smacked into the uh, pet of the plane and he was really hurt at that point. That doesn't surprise me because you kind of see that, don't you? You see it yeah. rising up yeah. and down. But it's all practically done. It's really. Oh, yes. Finally, Bond gets the upper hand as Necros finds himself hanging on by Bond's shoes. Bond cuts his laces, the boot slides off, and Necros falls to his death. Bond climbs back inside, closes the door, and realises suddenly that the bomb is still ticking somewhere inside the plane. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he finds it in time with just seconds to spur, and he deactivates it. Yep. Heading back into the cockpit, Kara asks what happened, and this is where he says he got the boot very badly. Yeah, this is another, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't work. I'd rather you just didn't no. bother. Just don't do the quips. Yeah, it wouldn't have made no difference to the ending. Quickly, Bond manages to avoid crashing into a mountain and notices suddenly that Cameron and his men are fleeing the Russians down below on a bridge on the ground. Right. Bond reactivates the bomb and drops it onto the Russians, destroying them and the bridge with model work that's actually quite good for once in a Bond movie, I think. Oh, you're happy about this one. This one doesn't look too bad. I presume it's Derek. It looks yeah, very I think so. Cameron cheers as Bond flies away, but Bond is worried as a warning light sounds in the cockpit. They're losing fuel fast and the engines are shutting down. Yeah, now usually when Bond runs out of fuel with an attractive lady, it's a good thing, right? Bond never runs out of fuel with an attractive lady. No, I meant like usually the films end with him like being stuck with a woman oh, and he's like, oh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh, this is don't good. They even, but... Don't they even pull that one halfway through License to Kill? Oh. In the boat? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they do. And they have a bit of a lie down. Of course. Yes. So Bond orders Kara to get back into the Jeep and fasten her seatbelt. He opens the doors and they slide the Jeep out of the back of the plane seconds before it crashes and explodes. Now, I'm not sure how this works, how the physics of this work, because... As the plane seems to be a few inches off the ground when they slide out, then suddenly it's back up in the air again when it hits the mountain. But, you know, it's, it's good fun and it looks all right. So, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a neat idea. The, uh, yeah, it wouldn't work, but just ignore that, yeah. In the Jeep, Bond um, sees a signpost for Karachi. I know a good restaurant in Karachi. We could just make dinner, he says. And that's a very Bond line there. But that line works. It does. Because yeah. it's not it's not really a, a jokey quip, is it? No. It's just a funny line. Yeah. So later, it's evening back in Tangiers, and Bond infiltrates Whitaker's hideout, knocking out his seemingly one and only guard. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is where the film gets a little odd because I don't know. There feels like no need for this bit. Obviously, we have to get Whitaker killed, but it. It's like, you know when you do a big fart? Mm. And then mm-hmm. there's a little bit afterwards? Yes. This is it's, what this feels the, like. This is the little pap after the big uh, rumble. Plus, if, if whichever government it is, the British or the American government, want Whitaker taken out, why just send Bond in? They'd send a whole group of people just to take him out. Yeah, he doesn't need Bond for this. No. Interestingly, Felix is uh, talking Bond through it all via an earpiece, something which is pretty much standard now in Bond movies, isn't it? Yeah, Bond's never alone anymore. Not anymore. No. In fact, it's M's usually talking to him. Yeah. Bit these days. Well, Which I think detracts from it. Yes, well, we need to get back to Bond on his own, on you know, yes. his wits. Figuring so. stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get This is where we get a second instance of uh, bird action. He's startled by birds. Oh, okay. See, no, it, technically it's the first instance because the second instance is in License to Kill. Bond finds Whitaker playing war games with his toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. Bond, not a, not he, a euphemism. Yes. Bond kindly informs him that all his opium has gone up in smoke. Shame, says Whitaker. You could have been a live rich man instead of a poor dead one. Nice. Whitaker pulls out a machine pistol and Bond dies for cover. Mm-hmm. Bond fires back but seems to only be able to hit the face shield on the machine pistol shoot his body i mean it's big enough yeah 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 you think you think bond's wise enough to think that after the first two shots have just bounced off it maybe i'll shoot at his body or his legs or whatever no no he fires all his shots because he says you've had your eight now have my 80 which is again the the thing i talked about earlier the second little nod to Sean Connery, I think. Whitaker finds a small cannon at Bond, and everything's starting to look bad. <laughs> so, uh, this bit of the film, it, it reminds me of um, Roadrunner. Yes, little trap. Because he, he starts off as like a pistol, and then a machine gun, then a cannon, mm. and then a giant catapult, then a nuclear bomb. <laughs> it just keeps expanding. It reminds me of something that you were seen in that sequence at the end of Man with the Golden Gun, you know, where he's going through the maze, Scaramanga's maze, and right. there's all these different um, uh, traps set for yes. and things like that. Yeah. But you know why I think they did that? Because it's such a weak ending. To give it something. Yeah, to give it something that was as big as what just preceded it. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Bond takes out his keyring and he fixes it to a pillar. He whistles, Real Britannia, and it blows it down onto Whitaker, killing him instantly. Yeah. Suddenly, Whitaker's other guard, who I presume was in the loo all this time. Of course. Bursts in. Which, where I would be, 
And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The, the actually, I've been there until bonded life, to be honest. <laughs> oh, no, I've missed it now. I've only had... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to have to open the safe, take the money and leave. <laughs> there is a running theme through this film of toilets. You know? Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, the first time you've mentioned it. He bursts in and he levels his machine gun at Bond, only to be killed by a hail of bullets from Pushkin, who very timely enters with a few soldiers and saves Bond's life. So Pushkin tells Bond, I owed you that one. They look down at Whitaker's body. He met his Waterloo, says Bond. Good line. Lose again. Yes, lose. <laughs> See, it's all the <laughs> subtext. It is, yeah. Koskoff rushes in and tries to slime his way out of it all, but Pushkin has had enough. Put him in the... <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, love it. you got to run at this one. Go on, take your time, Paul. Put, put him on the next plane to Moscow, he says, in the oh. diplomatic bag. Nicely done. Mm-hmm. That's his wife. Oh, what, the diplomatic bag? Is that what he calls her? Yes. Oof, don't like Pushkin. She's quite attractive, his wife. No, that's his mistress. You've never seen his wife. Uh, oh, that's true. Right, yeah. Ah, uh, no, he's what a cad. <laughs> what about Kara? asks Bond. She is a defector too, says Pushkin. What shall we do about her? <laughs> Where's this guy from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this. Russia. Oh, yeah, right, okay. So finally, after playing a concert, Kara meets M, General Gogol. He's turned up for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Cameron, who barrels his way in with his men. With ammunition. Yes. And guns. Yes. And mm. then says, we got a little trouble with the uh, Earth part. It's all there for a joke, I think. It is, but how makes would no he get through? No, yes, it, makes it makes no sense. Especially because, you know, if he said that he just travelled over land to get there, I would have been like, oh, okay, that would have took a while. But, you know, I can understand him getting through. But mm. maybe they were just lax in the uh, 80s with her parts. They was like, yeah, ammunition, fine, just come on through. I'm sure it'll all end well, won't it? Yeah. So Kara is sad that James isn't there because apparently he's away on a mission. Kara goes back to her dressing room, uh, but she finds two glasses of champagne waiting for her. Mm. She whistles, and James's keyring goes off. Mm. Don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> Blows up and kills everybody. <laughs> he's hiding behind the dressing screen after all. Mm. They embrace. You didn't think I'd miss this performance. Wink, wink, he says. Ooh. Say no more, say no more, you know. No, nudge, nudge. Does she, uh, do you go? Do you go? Hey, hey, do you go? Ask me forever. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm not sure why you would know, but, you know. Why is no? And as they kiss, the screen fades, mm-hmm. and uh, we hear Cara say, Oh, James. Mm-hmm. And that's the end, finally, of The Living Daylight. So, Colin, what did you think 
of the living oh, yeah. highlights. Although while I'm asking, I've no, I don't well, it need to. It took us almost four hours to get there. I know. So, let's do the negatives first. Okay. It's too long. Okay. It could be shorter by 20 minutes, mm-hmm. half an hour to push. What would you cut? The scene when he meets Cameron, the desert scene, some of that, like not all of it, but bits of it could be cut out of the film. I think I think that's where it grinds to a halt at that point. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's the only negative I could say about it. It is almost the perfect Bond film. It has everything you want from a Bond film. It has the gadgets. It has the quips. I mean, it has the spy story. Bond's actually figuring things out, which Mm -hmm. we haven't seen for a while. He's on his own Mm -hmm. trying to discover the mystery. It has M. It has Q. A little shot, but it still has Q. It has Money Penny. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has... traditional elements of a Bond film as well. And it pushes Bond into what then would have been a new generation because it he's not as misogynist as he used to be. He's angry. He's emotional. Mm-hmm. And it works for me. So I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. I do like it. It's a hit. Why wouldn't it be a hit? It's a perfect Bond film. Yeah, you've pretty much summed it up, really. Um, it's probably unreservedly one of my favourite Bond movies, starring probably my joint favourite Bond actor. The other being Roger Moore. Exactly. Which is weird, because Timothy Dalton and Roger Moore are different ends of the spectrum. It depends what, what mood you're in and what you want from your Bond at the time that you feel like you want to watch a Bond movie, I think. If I want a, a, a fun-filled, nostalgic romp... Roger Moore's your man every time, isn't he? Oh, I thought your wife, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nostalgic romp, all right. Um, but if I want serious, <laughs> serious-ish, gritty, gritty Bond, mm-hmm. it's Dalton all the way. You can forget your Daniel Craig's. This is this is the man. Yeah, the, right. Mm-hmm. Dalton's got presence. He's he's got the cold animal eyes of a professional killer. Um, oh, it's like looking in the mirror, pal. It is. But he's also got that vulnerable side that makes him probably the most human Bond out of all of them, I think. Right. Including Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Living Daylights is his best of his two, I think. Yes, License to Kill was a... Uh... Yeah, it's more of an American action movie, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Living Daylights has got some really good Bond moments too. It's got great action, good villains... And it's got that all-important John Barry soundtrack, mm-hmm. yeah. which, which you need in a Bond movie. It's a hit for me any day of the week. And all I can say really about it is that it's just a shame that we only got to see Timothy Dalton do it twice. It's it's a definite hit, hit for me. I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Always have. So that's it for The Living Daylights. Yeah, an overwhelming hit from both of us. Absolutely. So, Colin, what we'll be talking about next time... In our next episode, we're getting out the chunky cardigans and the flirt pants and hitting the streets in a subtle, undercover automobile with those wise-cracking detectives, Starsky and Hutch. But, if that's not arresting enough for you, and you know something that isn't a crime to cinema or TV, then email your suggestion to retrospection at email.com or you can follow us on Facebook and message us too. 
or on Twitter at Retrospecky and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen. You can also hear the themes and songs from the films and shows we review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, if you'd like to support our old episodes and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server costs by supporting us via patreon.com slash retrospection. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters who make sure another month goes by that Paul doesn't have to take up that second job as a hippotherapist because nobody's told him they're supposed to be looking after horses and he has just bought a hippopotamus. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Saints <laughs> catch a plane to let the heavens closer. Oh.